Jacob Romo, what's good? What's up, everybody? Bo Phillips in the house. Everybody that's just tuning in, we have a we have a very special guest tonight. I'm very excited to announce. Matter of fact, one of my really good friends that uh, I've ever had in my life. We have um so tonight we have the CEO of Avai Media, filmmaker in Tucson since 2017. He's released three whole feature films now that are actually got picked up and have distribution for Amazon Prime as well. So you can check those out. The names of these films that are on Amazon Prime is uh, Positive the Movie, The Tiny House Movie, and A Tiny House Christmas, which is the uh, follow-up sequel to that as well. Two feature films that are currently in post-production as well. One feature film is currently screening in festivals, and the name of that feature film, and I'm proud to say that I uh, did get to work on that film as well, called 8,000 Feet Up, so everybody go check those out. We just had screenings, actually, of I did for these films of his that he's uh, we're referring to. It was 8,000 Feet Up, just uh, featured at the Gila Valley Film Festival out in Safford, Arizona, this last weekend. And then also uh, on Monday of this week, it featured at the uh, Arizona International Film Festival here in downtown Tucson. So congrats to Avai once again for all those big accomplishments and getting all those just in front of a lot of big people and a lot of in front of a lot of big screens as well. And I'll go ahead and just introduce my brother from another mother, Never Mind the Color. Avai Amitko, come on oh, down and welcome shit. to Bartow. We're here now with uh, Avai, um, director, actor, all of that. All Cine cinematographer. Correct? Cinematographer. Um, how you doing today, sir? I'm doing all right. Thanks so much for having me. He's done a couple of my videos. Very, very, very good uh, guy, man, overall, for sure, for sure. Thank you for coming on. appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt. again. For sure, for sure. Man. So tell, Can you tell us about that trailer that we just did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that's the trailer for 8,000 Feet Up. It's a thriller, a psychological thriller. Um, it's three characters up on a mountain camping, and they're strangers at the beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. And then uh, during their three-day weekend of camping, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they, uh, they cross paths, they get to know each other, and uh, they kind of get a little suspicious of each other and uh, we're we can tell there's like that heaviness that like something's gonna go down mm -hmm. um, and it's it's uh, just a matter of what and uh, it's got it's got multiple twists along the way so I'm, I'm really excited I figure why do one twist when you can do three twists <laughs> yeah nice. that, ma that makes sense that makes sense uh, could you tell the viewers uh, like where you from where you grew up at yeah, so I grew up in Minnesota, and it was really cold, and uh, now I live in Tucson, and it's really hot. How long have you been <laughs> in Tucson? I've been in Tucson a little over five years. A little over five years. So just like, like I came from Denver, Colorado, which is cold. Like I don't yeah. know if it's as cold as Minnesota, but um, I came here as well, and like the change, how was you able to adapt to like, I think the other week the doctor told me that I got uh, heat, Wait, valley heat or valley fever? Valley fever. Did oh, you man. get that when I've you came in? I've that too. Yeah, I've got a. I actually have a lump in my lung right now, uh, and I have to get like imaging periodically uh, as a left monitor. Yeah, from like the valley fever. My oh lung, man, my lung grew like a scar tissue around it to like oh, wow. stop it from spreading. Maybe I need to uh, check to check up on that too as well because I've yeah, been having some resp respiratory. Yeah, that's that's why that's why I went to a doctor because I was having this like chronic coughing. Oh know. wow! So I thought did, it was uh, just a week. Sorry, I'm joking. Oh. No, <laughs> it was 420. <laughs> Actually, my son just a couple of days ago we went because he had COVID. So and he just hasn't gone away since fucking February. 
So that's what he, he just got tested for that just recently. And then now they just diagnosed him today. He called me. They said he, he has a long COVID. Oh, so wow. he's still dealing with that. Message. You're learning something on Broad Talk TV. Uh, like if you're here from out of state or <clears throat> you get valley, uh, valley fever, right? Yeah. Uh, make sure you tell your primary doctor, man, learning something here on Broad Talk TV. But anyway, anyway, so uh, been here for Tucson for five years. Um, how many uh, feature films ha have you done, or films pretty much that you do? Yeah, so we've wrapped photography on six different feature films. Three of them are out. Um, we have another one that's in the festival circuit right now. So kind of the process we do is we, we make the movie. Once we're done shooting the movie, we have to edit the movie, and that's like the longer process. Shooting right. is pretty quick. Because we just get some people to a place and we point the cameras and we go. Mm -hmm. And then editing is where we really spend a lot of time because we have to pick the best angles and the best pacing and the timing. And then once we've got all that figured out, we have to go to a soundtrack composer to get the score composed. And then that takes forever also because they've got to like create original music. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a months long process as well. Right. And then we finally have the movie ready. Um, so depending on what movie or what the situation is. Uh, sometimes we'll release in a theater, um, and then other times we'll maybe play it one night VIP in a theater or something and then send it around to festivals. Mm -hmm. um, with the Christmas movie we made, when we made that, all the theaters were closed. So that one just went straight into distribution. Mm -hmm. um, so you can, you can find them wherever wherever your favorite place to get movies is, whether it's streaming or buying Blu-rays, uh, we've got distribution pretty much everywhere. Cool, cool, cool. So what's the deal with the festival? <clears throat> what happens when you send the, music, the movies? Yeah, so when we send movies to festivals, festivals typically, like, they, they are showing movies that aren't just, like, available on the internet or available to buy at Walmart. So it's a draw to go to the festival so you can attend the festival and see these exclusive new movies uh, that aren't on streaming or anything yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so we typically spend about one year in the festival circuit. And depending on when you start, like what fest you want to start at, that kind of determines the start of your year. And then a lot of festivals happen annually around the same month or so uh, every year. Okay. So... Right now, we've got the Arizona International Film Festival, which is in its 30th year, which is super impressive, and that's right here in Tucson. And then okay. the Gila Valley uh, Film Festival in Safford, Arizona, has its inaugural year this year, so that's just the first year it's happening. And I'm really excited to see how that festival grows out in Safford. Um, so we played at both of those festivals just in the past week, and then... Uh, we're, we've submitted to other festivals throughout Arizona and also a few in Texas, mm -hmm. and we're still picking out festivals in California to send to, but we haven't submitted. So, what are, what are the benefits to sending your movies to these festivals? So, if we get if we get selected by a festival, we get the little award laurels, which is like the the two branches of leaves, and then it's got right. like the right. Uh, okay, the I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So yeah, so when people see that on a movie poster um, or on a Blu-ray or something they'll know, oh, this festival, or this this movie was, like, good enough to get into these festivals. Okay. So it's kind of a prestige thing, really. And it's a good way to just get, gauge some audience responses, too. Because we go to the festivals, and while the people, the other people at the festival are watching the movie play, I'm, 
I'm watching the movie too, but I'm just as interested in like listening to how the other people in the audience are reacting. Right. To the movie. right, right. Are they laughing at the jokes? Are they gasping at the twists? Mm -hmm. Like how do they, how do the different jokes hit? Are some funny or some falling flat? Right. Uh, what do they think about the ending? Just so, to capture their reactions. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's all just like helpful information that we can maybe use going forward. Um, sometimes after festivals play, uh, we might t polish the edit of the movie a little bit right. based on how the festival audiences responded. And then we'll have that polished version of the movie and we'll go into distribution with that. So then when people stream it the following year, um, we can iron out any kinks that might have been in the movie. So um, you give out the like the opinion cards? So no, people... no, no. It's just listening. I just oh. listen. Like if people are clapping or laughing, the reaction, or crying. Yeah, I right, just, yeah, right. Yeah. So what did what did you? I didn't mean mean to get off the subject. Oh, sure, sure. I, I I meant to ask this beforehand. But uh, when did you become interested in filming and directing and acting? Yeah. So uh, wow. When I was really young, um, my mom had this typewriter, so I would like I would write stories, and a lot of it was like science fiction kind of stuff, like aliens and spaceships and robots. Mm -hmm. And eventually, um, my my dad got a uh, analog eight millimeter <clears throat> handheld camcorder mm -hmm. for like recording like you know, family get-togethers, if we get together for Christmas or something, he'd, like, just, you know, film kids opening presents or something. Just random. Um, yeah, random. and, like, grandparents' birthdays and stuff like that, just to, like, you know, be able to watch those moments again in the future. Right. Um, so once we got that camera, then I was able to, like, write out a story on, like, the typewriter, mm -hmm. and then, like, hand the script to my brother or if we had some cousins over for like a family get together like Thanksgiving or something mm -hmm. um, and then we would take the camera and we'd go out in the forest and we would just make some really simple indie movies with my brother and my cousins wow how, how old you were you uh, really young I, it was before I was a teenager for sure it wow kind of it reminds me of that one uh, movie I can't remember what it's called but like a train crashes. Super like, eight. Yeah. Yeah, Super, super Eight. There that. we go. I, yep. That just took me back to that movie. I'm like, super man, eight. it reminds <laughs> me of when the kids were trying to film the movie. They had their little actors and actresses. Yep. And they, as they were filming, the train crashes or whatever. Yeah. And it which is like great production value for them. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so uh so, great. Yeah, so, so that's <laughs> Like you don't even need the whole because like something yeah, might go like, wrong. That was just a one take. <laughs> it had to go right yeah. at the right place, right place, the right time. Um, one of my other questions is before uh we bring on the birthday boy, what shout out birthday boy again, Bo. You know what I mean? Shouts out to my boy Bo. Um, whoa. Uh so is this stressful? As a director, sometimes when uh, the actors come unprepared or like, do you have ever been there like, man, get, like get to it's together like and they're not unprepared like or do you not really have that problem with the people uh, not knowing their lines or yeah, not trying hard enough? It's definitely stressful. Or, give me this. Give me that. I need this. I need that. You know what I'm saying? 
so as part of the whole evolutionary process of my my journey as a filmmaker um so my my brother and my cousins weren't exactly they didn't have necessarily aspirations to be actors mm -hmm. um and then when i got into high school and college and after college i'd have my friends act in short films that i would film mm -hmm. um but they they were just doing it because they were my friends and i asked them like hey can you like act in this role for me mm -hmm. and i decided that i wanted to take it a little more seriously and seek out people who really wanted to act mm -hmm. um, because I figured they would give the role a little extra um, because it was what they were really passionate about. Right. So I hung up some flyers and I was basically like, Hey, I'm going to make an indie movie. If you want to also make an indie movie with me, meet me at the library on this date at this time. And I figured maybe four people would show up and 16 people showed up. Nice. Which and this was, was awesome. in Soda, right? In yeah. Minnesota. Yep. Yep. Okay. And we just pooled our resources. Uh, we created a story together. We, a few of us, uh, worked on writing the script, while others of us kind of started figuring out like wardrobe for like what, who was going to act, uh, what they would wear in each scene. And uh, one guy, his uncle, like owned the radio station or something, so we were able to do a shout out on the radio about needing background actors for a concert scene. Mm -hmm. um, some of the actors in the movie were also in a band. So we featured their band in the movie and they like played <laughs> oh, a song. And it was, nice. a it was a romantic comedy. So basically it was these two people were like going to these different like date night hotspots downtown and then they ended up at this concert. Um, so when we were, were trying to fill the, the crowd with people, we went on the radio and we talked about that and the newspaper did a thing on us. And then a photography studio in town saw us in the newspaper and came by and just asked us if we needed any extra equipment. And we were just starting out and just shooting on whatever we could find. And uh, that was Josh Banks of Banks Photo. If you're in Rochester, Minnesota, look up Josh Banks. Shout out Josh Banks. Shout out Josh Banks. So yeah, we <laughs> we used uh, Josh's gear to make a movie, and it was great. Um, and Josh was on set helping us out, um, and it was just a lot of fun. And I, I was really excited. I was pleased. I wasn't sure how many other people would want to do this or get involved, um, and it was great. So then when I came to Tucson, I basically just tried to do the same thing. I tried to. Uh, the first thing I did was a documentary series that profiled local artists so mm -hmm. I could try to figure out who are the other creative people in Tucson, the city mm -hmm. that I'm not from and I don't know anyone at. Doing your and research. Then, yeah, exactly. And then through meeting those people, I was able to meet other people and get involved with uh, other people who were interested in camera or sound or acting or writing or directing. Yeah, because yeah, when I met you, I didn't, I didn't meet you through... I met you through some um, the video that we did. Mm -hmm. uh, the music video or the TV pilot? The, the music video, the first yeah. one we did. I met you. Through, I didn't even meet you through Solo. Oh, yeah, right, 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 right. I met you through. Yeah, we were doing a, yeah, we were a totally different person. I didn't know who yeah. you were. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, 
<clears throat> you showed up or whatever you met uh met up with you did some uh just some like free filming you're like happy to do it i was like yeah. man that's a cool guy he's like <laughs> i thought i was expecting him to be like yeah i need like about 60 dollars for this, this photo <laughs> shoot right now yeah right now yeah but you were like, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Come on. Yeah. I was like, dang, that's man, that's cool. And then we you, you like I said, we used you again for the movie video, and that was phenomenal. Like you guys yeah, blew thanks. that. That was like that was a lot of fun. That was a you guys hit that out the park. Whoever did you you did the editing or did somebody else? Man, I don't remember. <laughs> like, <laughs> he said, man, I don't there's so many projects, man. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago, and I try to outsource the editing when I can. And a lot of the times what ends up happening is even if someone wants me to edit, I find someone else to like do a rough cut and then I just polish the rough cut. Um, it really just comes down to how many other projects I've got on my plate. I don't I do not do editing. I know how to edit. Um, was that your first music video? Um, The one that we did before with uh, Downtown? Maybe. Um, yeah, I don't remember. So, like, you haven't really in your career what what I was asking before that you haven't really dealt with the divas and like having. Oh, to... right, right, right. So, oh, not... so I found that as as I've tried to work with people who care more about what they're doing, we get a better result. Mm -hmm. So right. it's not like people are being intentionally disrespectful. I don't think, but if if you ask someone to do something that they're really passionate about. They're going to give it their all. Right. And if you ask someone to try to do something that they don't really want to be doing, and maybe they still say yes just because they're your friend or something and they want to help you out, then that's cool for them. But they, you might get a better result if you work with someone who, like, that's the main thing that they care about. Um, and there have been times, too, uh, and it's really only – the only time I find it really frustrating is if it's on a paid project. Mm -hmm. Like if it's a paid project, then, you know, the whole context is different. Like you're doing this movie for an executive producer who's got the money and like the budget, they're, they're going to own the film and mm -hmm. you're like working for them. Right. And if they're paying you and you show up and you don't know your lines or you show that's up unprofessional. and you don't bring the right gear or something. Yeah, it's unprofessional. And, that, and that's the only time I found it to be. Really People look at that, too, because it get word gets around like, man. So we pay him, but he's good, and but he's unprofessional. You know, do that or she don't do it, whatever. But that's what, like, I really wasn't interested in getting into acting. I know I was coming, basically coming to the uh, West Coast, but like at Pima College, man, there's some really good people, and I'm doing a show coming up May 20th, Thunder uh, Thunder Canyon. Awesome. Um, we'll probably get. We'll talk about that. Yeah. But anyway, um, uh. There's just some really good people at, uh, at Pima College, and they're they're like they want to come out and do like a short little play. I'm like, man, right on! Like, but you would think the the skills that they have, they'd be like, oh, no, I'm I'm not gonna do no hip hop, right? But they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me know because I I've seen a we did a lot little shop of horrors, um, and a SpongeBob. Oh, awesome. I don't want to tell nobody this. Little yeah. Shop <laughs> yeah, man, you know I was the pirate. Okay. I, I just watched that movie. Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> yeah. I just watched that. We shit did that at uh, Pima College, man. It was a really good time. Did like, you sing and everything? I, I never. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna avoid that question. Um, Were you the the way we, we uh, turned over the um, the scenes and everything? Because I worked before, uh, uh, like 
Chuck Williams went to his classes when I, and I was with what was that the um, Three Nights in Hell. Okay. With yeah. Pete, Peter, Peter Leon. Peter, yeah. And um but I don't know. I wasn't in that I was on time. like on scene in a couple maybe a couple other ones in Phoenix, but um doing play, it was like totally different. Like I was like like uh um, oh, yeah, it's different doing um and now we're into auditions, like pretty much getting yourself ready for an audition and and whatnot. But we got a, a wonderful, wonderful professor at Pima Calls. But anyway, back to back to you. Well, positive, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, both with 8,000 feet up and with positive, the goals were kind of the same. It's just, you know, we want to we wanna make a movie because any day you're making a movie is better than a day that you're not making a movie. Right. So we wanted to make a movie. Uh, we wanted to use Tucson talent, Tucson crew, Tucson actors, Tucson locations. Because mm-hmm. um, everyone's talking about Los Angeles and Atlanta and New Mexico, but we've got people here who can make movies too. Right. And it's just really cool to just, you know, have our own, do our own thing. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Hollywood system, it, it's, it's got a long prestigious history. Right. Um, I know people all the time who they're like, yeah, I'm going to move out to LA and I'm going to make it in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And some of them have been out there for years now. And that's awesome for them. Right. Uh, I've never really wanted to do that. That sounds really stressful to me. Yeah. Uh, I just want to make movies with my friends and just, you know, just because I'm making movies with my friends, though, doesn't mean I don't have to try to take my craft seriously and try to make each movie better than the movie before. Right. Um, we formed an LLC, a Media LLC, because uh, it's, it's really expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you know, if you, if you want to do anything, uh, there's just all these costs end up adding up uh, as you go through the production. Right. Because um, people will break your gear. Uh, you'll run out of, like, expendables, like batteries and SD cards don't last forever. So right. they're out you got to replace them. Lens filters, especially in Arizona, it's very dusty here. I've never <laughs> had to. In Minnesota, I didn't have to clean my lenses so regularly. But in Arizona, there's just so much dust everywhere. Yeah. So I'm constantly uh, cleaning things, and then the lens filters get scratched. So I have to buy new lens filters, and um, and then you know if you want to if you want to go a little more into the the minor details that I think really have a big impact, even though you might not notice them, is the production design. Mm-hmm. So you've got all of your set pieces, your props, specific wardrobe uh, pieces that people will be wearing, right. and you can try to color coordinate stuff. But, you know, if you don't have a bright pink computer monitor to match the flamingo and, the <laughs> you know, the detail on the T-shirt, right. um, I've, I've gone to the, to the U of A surplus uh, warehouse place where you can buy, like, used office equipment, basically, um, for really cheap. And I bought a computer monitor, and then I got some pink spray paint, and I taped <laughs> off the, L, the LCD screen. And I just spray painted the case of the computer monitor pink and then waited for it to dry, took the took the tape off, and now we had our bright pink computer monitor. Right. And it cost us like five dollars. So we didn't nice. even have to like try to find a monitor on like Amazon or Walmart or something. We just, just yeah, little props, just, they won't know the difference. <laughs> yeah, right. Just find something wherever you can. And 
I mean, at the at the independent level, we don't have a studio behind us. We don't have Warner Brothers or HBO right, right, right. giving me checks to make movies. It's just if we want to make a movie, we have to figure it out on our own. Right. That's why it's independent film. Right. It's just you and your passion pushing through this, not knowing. There's no backing like this. No huge company sending us money to you know do all this. But if you don't make it yourself, then it's never going to get made, mm -hmm. and no one's going to know what you're capable of. You are not going to know what you're capable of. The right. only way to know what you're capable of is to get out there and do it. Make the mistakes. In mm -hmm. all of my movies, I've made mistakes. And you just push through them, and you learn from them. And then in the next movie, you try not to repeat the mistakes you made on the last movie. Right, right. And a big part of that growth is also, you know, when you find other like-minded people who are in your city, wherever you are. Uh, and if you're not in a city, like when I was a kid, I just uh, lived in the woods. So, <laughs> I, you know, wherever you are, find someone who will work with you. Um and you can learn from each other. So Alan Williams directed 8,000 Feet Up, and I'd worked with him before on a couple projects, and I really liked working with him really because Alan was in film school when I was like, I don't know, this tall. Um, so he he's made so many different movies and had so many different experiences that I haven't had, and it's really great working with him in that director cinematographer capacity mm -hmm. because he'll have an idea for what he wants to happen in the scene and how he wants me to shoot it. Mm -hmm. And then as a cinematographer, it's my challenge to try to figure out how to make that happen with the tools we have. Um, so it's, it's, it's a lot of growth anytime I, I work with Alan or any other director. Um, I just grow as a cinematographer because that director has their own vision and they, want, they push me to try new things that I maybe otherwise never would have thought about to try. That's awesome. That's awesome, brother. I know I was I was uh, privileged to be a part of one of his films. Wait, did you ever find a name? Did you ever pick oh, a name? Oh yeah, for so it? we we're man. I don't like titles. So like, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, eight thousand feet up. When you're driving, when we're driving to Mount Lemmon um, to go film, like there's literally a sign that says elevation right. eight thousand feet, and we shot that. Uh, with the intent of like having that in the movie to be like, oh yeah, look, they're eight thousand feet up. But like, we, you know, that in, in editing, we shoot a lot of stuff that doesn't make it into the movie, and that's just the nature of making movies. Also, mm -hmm. um, ninety percent of the time and effort we spend is in editing, uh, and you just got to make sure the pacing is good. And we can't include every shot, we can't include every scene, just because something will work good on paper, mm -hmm. we shoot it. But then when we're in the editing room, maybe it like ruins kind of the flow of the one scene to the next, the pacing. Um, so to keep the energy up, we, we cut out stuff all the time. Right. And then with positive, uh, the pregnancy test, when she finds out she's pregnant, the test is positive. So we took the little pregnancy test picture and wrote positive on it. And that's how we got that title. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've, I do, I do short films a lot too. And I do whatever, like, for my own projects, I do feature films because if I'm if I'm putting in the effort to plan a production really thoroughly, like you have to do the same kind of planning if you're designing the set pieces or the props and the wardrobe or the like the mood of the movie. You have to spend so much time designing all that 
And then after that, the only thing left is page count. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's 10 pages or 90 pages, like you've done a lot of the hard work already and just doing more pages isn't really that much more effort mm -hmm. from like a overall grand scheme of things. You just get people excited about doing more scenes and most people want bigger roles. Right. So I found that it's, it's easier to get people into feature films a lot of the time because they want a bigger role. They want to show off their skill. They want to, to have that time to, to work and grow in their respective crafts also. So I, I do short films when other people want me to do a short film. Like if someone comes up to me and they're like, hey, if I want to do this movie, I don't have a camera. I don't know who's going to shoot it. I have a camera. Talk to me. Like, yeah. I love shooting stuff. So I do tons of music videos. Um, I filmed concerts. Bands will just hit me up and be like, hey, man, if you're not doing anything, bring your wife, have a couple free drinks, and just, like, shoot whatever you want to shoot. We're just happy to have something. And, you know, we, we just have fun with it. And as That's long as cool. everyone's okay with what they're doing, it's, it's just a... Uh, it's cool. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I just like doing stuff and working with as many people and making as many friends in Tucson as I can. It's a friendly town. Yeah. Well, the cool thing is, too, like, Obai, and I, like I did say in the introduction, we first brought him on the show tonight, y'all. We have, like, a pretty good rapport established between each other, and Obai is a really good friend of mine. So when it came down to just looking for specific videography for the last show that we just did last week for the Kurt Cobangs thing for the 420 Festival, I was, like, immediately, I was, like, Obai's my guy. Not only because right, he's yeah. one of my really good friends, but he's right one away, of the most, right away, for, like, just that. professional, like, pristine about your craft, and you're very precise with how you do conduct yourself in a professional setting too when it comes to filmmaking so that's props to you brother and i do like that's one of your most admirable qualities i must say thanks, thanks. <laughs> absolutely absolutely i know i had a follow-up question when i asked you if you picked the name for the other one mm -hmm. so how do you go about like what's your process when it comes to making a movie you know so uh i i start with just like an idea usually like mm -hmm. what is what is something i want to explore and that can be a theme or it can be a character it's usually, I want to explore a theme, but from the perspective of a specific character. So it can, it can really be anything. With positive, for example, um, we, what was the initial nugget of what ended up evolving into positive? Like what you were trying to like the premise before you started conceptualizing? Yeah, I think I think the burglary thing was what started the idea. Because because uh, the heist I think thing, I, right? Yeah, I think it was, it was the heist a, thing, a yeah. conversation with some people about like, man, you can't even like do a heist. Today yeah. <laughs> because you'll get caught because there's cameras everywhere. There's like so many cameras in this room right now. Everyone's got a phone with a camera in their pocket. Every gas station, every street corner, every time you walk past a bank, every time, like, right. everyone's got those ring doorbell cameras. So, like, if you try to do anything, people somewhere are going to know where you were when because they're going to capture it. Right. So we were coming up with just some brainstorming of, like, how we could get these characters in this movie to try to, like, pull this off in the present and not, like, an old West Bank robbery, but, like, a today yeah. And we came up with the idea of, oh, and they kind of touched upon it in the trailer is like, oh, there's this rager happening tonight. You can just photobomb everyone's selfies and then they'll post it on their social oh, media profiles. That's your alibi right and there. that's our alibi. Yeah. And we were at that party the whole night. 
Um, and then from there, we were just kind of like developing things further. Like, okay, so that's what they're going to do. But like, we want these to be like the good guys of the movie. So, you know, they can't just go around doing a crime because crime is bad. So what are the circumstances that they're in that push them into doing this crime where the audience will still kind of be sympathetic with them? So we were like, oh, yeah, well, this, this boyfriend's a jerk, and he's always taking advantage of her. And then she finds out she's pregnant, and she tells him, and he changes the locks. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, so now she's pregnant, and she doesn't have any of her stuff, and she's homeless. Yep. So she's out on her ass. That's the motivation then for we need to do a heist. We need to like get back at this guy and get your stuff back. And yeah. So then uh, we just started, started outlining. Um, And then depending on the outline and also depending on who I'm working with, uh, with the creative team that I've put together, if, uh, if we end up shooting the outline or actually writing out a whole script. So with Positive, Emma and Brianna, they both have a lot of improv experience. And I asked if they would try just improvising a couple of scenes that I'd outlined. And everything they did was hilarious. So I was like, this this is really funny. Do you guys want to just like shoot this movie from the outline and just improvise it? And they were like, yeah. So we did. And it turned out great. Um, I've watched Positive again recently. Mm-hmm. And... A couple of years later, it still holds up. It's still really funny. Yeah. And absolutely. on the other hand, then 8,000 feet up, we had an outline. I'd pitched it to a couple of actors years ago and was like, hey, do you want to do this movie? It'd be really chill. We could just go up on the mountain and hang out and have a good time. And they weren't interested. And that's fine. Not everyone's interested what? in every project, whatever. Um, I Sometimes I don't know if it's like, you know, maybe they're busy. Maybe I'm not adequately communicating the idea I have so they don't see my vision and they don't get excited about it. Right. Or, you know, maybe then there's a lot of people too who are like, Oh, I'm only going to act if you pay me. That's totally fair. I sometimes will only shoot things if I'm getting paid. It really just depends on the context and, and what the arrangement is. If it's a Hollywood studio coming out and looking for camera crew, I'm going to want some Hollywood studio money. Right. But, yeah, exactly. You know, if, <laughs> If Bo comes up to me and is like, dude, let's just make a movie in Tucson with our friends, then it's like, cool, yeah, let's figure this out, how we can make this happen. Yeah. So uh, I I just put that project aside for a couple of years, and then the pandemic happened. And I was planning a different movie, uh, which I couldn't do anymore because the pandemic happened, and we had to stay six feet apart, and we had to be outdoors. So I was like, oh, man, what if we did a movie where three people were camping and they were strangers and they were six feet apart and they were outdoors. Right. So that's when I came back to this idea. And I actually had like multiple ideas for different uh, movies we could do, like with just a small cast where they're basically camping and then stuff happens. And some of them were dramas and some of them were comedies. And this one was a thriller. And I hadn't really done a thriller yet. I've done mostly comedy. Yeah. So I wanted to do something new. And then. Uh, Someone introduced me to Bryn, the lead actress, and they were like, Bryn is cool. So I had a Zoom meeting with Bryn, and Bryn is cool. Um, So she was excited about the character. Alan had hit me up because he saw the Christmas movie on Amazon and was like, dude, you just made a Christmas movie. This is amazing. 
I've got all these projects that I'm the trying Christmas to get lined awesome up. Too, furniture walk, absolutely, yeah, yeah, great collaboration right there, absolutely. So, absolutely. so it was, it was just, it, it was great. Alan was looking for something to do, and I had something to do. So I was like, yeah, Alan, you can direct this. This would be great. Um, and he read the script, and he was already familiar with Bryn because he'd seen her in a, a, a short film that I think was a student film from the U of A uh, that Bryn acted in. And Alan had seen it, and he was really impressed with Bryn. So when I told him, oh, yeah, Bryn's on board, then he was, like, extra on board. Because nice. he wanted to do something, period. Um, but then he also was really excited about working with this actress who he had just seen in another film awesome. and been impressed with. Shout out to yeah. Bryn Booth. Very talented actress in Tucson. She's a friend also. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, then with, uh, with 8,000 feet up from the outline, it expanded into the whole script. Um, I was working with one co-writer. And uh, we, we flushed out a rough draft, but it was really rough. And there were pieces of it that were good, and there was a lot of it that didn't make any sense, which is that happens all the time. Anytime you're writing anything, you know, you got to do many revisions because you're right. not going to write gold on your first try. So, uh, so we had, uh, we kind of had hit a, a standstill on that script. Uh, and he, I think he had other stuff come up in his life, and he didn't want to do it anymore. So he asked me if I would just finish the script. And I was like, sure. But then I was like, oh, Daniel, you write also. Will you help me finish the script? Ooh. And then uh, Daniel and I got together, and we basically just picked apart every scene by scene. And we were like, these scenes we like. These scenes are like what's missing, and we need to like flesh these out and invent what goes here. Um, and we just really were hyper-focused then because we had a beginning and a middle and an end, but it was like a lot of the details and the character motivations and, and the character motivations staying consistent. So one character mm -hmm. always had like this recurring theme of this is what's driving me to make my decisions. And the other character has this counter theme of this is what's driving me to make decisions. And uh, it's, it's a really cool way to do it that way. Um, there's another indie movie that I saw on Tubi called Coherence. And that was improvised. Um, and the I was reading some interviews about like the making of that movie. And they basically, each day on set, they gave each actor like a note card with like, here's your goals for the scene. And the one actor's goals was leave the room. And the other actor's goals was stop that person from leaving the room. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't know what's going to happen, who's going to be successful. Yeah. But the actors are going to be actively working against each other because one of them really needs to leave and the other one really needs to stop that person from leaving. Um, and it just created some good drama. Um, so it's cool to like give characters kind of conflicting motivations or like motivations that will conflict with each other. Um, so then they can have this conflict between them and that creates more drama, uh, which is really good if you're filming a drama or a thriller. Absolutely. That was Would one you, thing that I like, if I can say something, yeah, real quick. that was one thing I like working with you is when we were there, like you, sh you showed us a script, but it was, it was, I guess it was kind of just like a basic idea. Cause you're like, here's your script. Oh wait, you don't have a script. Go. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. I, that's the that best way to shoot, cool, man. Yeah. That's how you can just like capture the most authenticity on set. Absolutely. With an actor that's improvising. Yeah. So with that, yeah, that, with that really particular cool. shoot. Um, so uh, there were three scenes and two of them were scripted out. And one of the scenes was intentionally not scripted. And I had a good reason for that. It wasn't that I didn't have time. I had time. We were just waiting for schedules to line up. Right. Um, <laughs> 
which you know indie filmmaking in indie space yeah <laughs> you know if if you've got that executive producer from Warner Brothers giving everyone checks suddenly their schedules are wide open right right but if you're like hey man let's do something for fun you know people people got to do things whenever too. you're free yeah yeah so it, it you got to be patient of course and we'll it's go out of the uh, so the so the one the, so two of the three scenes we knew that we wanted to hit specific points um, and we'd written them out uh, we scripted out all the dialogue and then with the third scene we didn't have a script but we did know what we wanted to convey and we wanted the actress to be the most upset she has <laughs> ever been in her life and I've found that it's really hard to get that kind of performance out of someone when they're like trying to remember a line right. because you get on set, they've rehearsed this, we say action and half of them, like sometimes I've seen it so many different ways. Sometimes they'll know all the lines and they won't, it'll, it'll feel like it's rehearsed. And right. if you've ever been really angry or seen someone get genuinely angry they're like stumbling over their words. They're not rehearsed. Mm -hmm. Even if they've practiced this 20 times, they're so angry and flustered. They're like fumbling around and it doesn't come out smoothly. Right. So we, if we're going for something more real and authentic, you know, we want, we want it to not sound like it's rehearsed. We don't want them to sound like they learned their lines. We want them to say the lines, but we don't want it to, we want it to sound real. We don't want it to sound fake. Right. Um, and then I've seen it another way too, where someone tries so hard to get into an emotion and however they do that, there's tons of different ways to do it. Uh, I see a lot of actors who I've personally worked with, maybe this is just coincidence, um, but they will like think about actual events that have happened to them, what things in their real life yeah. made them really angry and furious. And they just try to remember that and get into that headspace. And now they're angry and they don't know their lines <laughs> and they're like spewing nonsense. Right. So you can get the anger, but then you don't like have any context that doesn't move the plot the way you want it to go necessarily. So it's kind of a balance of like, we want to plan it enough to make sure that when the actor's really angry, they go to their goal. They need to know where their goal is. Even if they don't have a specific word for word written out line to recite, they know, oh, I have to hit this point, this point, this point, and end up here. And then they just have to get angry and they have to make sure they end up there and they hit as many of those points up to there as they can. And then once they get there, then we call cut. Right. And I've found that that's a really good way to get a performance out of an actor who needs to be really angry. So for, for anger, and venting or lecturing scenes uh we don't always script it all out because those are those are the parts where we want to give the actors freedom to improvise and just like tap into that anger yeah. and show us what they got but i wasn't the one that was angry i had to just stand there right. <laughs> yeah you were, the one, you were the one taking all of that anger so, that was so funny though, because her husband's like, We have a lot to talk about when <laughs> they were leaving. I was right. like, Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. really she released a lot of emotions that day. Yep. I had nothing to do with me. <laughs> right, right, right. Yep. That yeah, and so I found that's what it is. Yeah, when people are angry, it's usually got nothing to do with you. They got something else <laughs> and they're just taking it out on someone. That was hilarious. That was fun too. So where do you pull your inspiration to do these things? Oh man, so many places. Um so definitely 
for for living filmmakers, I really admire Steven Soderbergh because he just seems I've, I've never met him, but he seems like the kind of filmmaker who's just out there living his best life mm -hmm. because he makes so many wildly different movies. He makes really polished movies. He makes really gritty movies. He he does stuff that's like any genre. Well, maybe not any genre, but like so many genres. And they all of his movies, he's they feel so different from one another. He's right. like experimenting and trying new things each time. And he's using different equipment. He's used really expensive equipment. Because I mean this guy did Oceans Eleven, which was like huge. Oh yeah, yeah. And he did High Flying Bird, which is on Netflix. And High Flying Bird was shot on an iPhone, and his whole lighting kit was one LED panel, and then everything else was just the sun coming through, you know, your natural environment. Wow, and that's crazy. It was crazy that this same guy did both of those movies. And what I what I like about him, so when I started looking him up, um, I didn't actually Google the name Steven Soderbergh mm -hmm. because he I found out that he also does his own camera work. But so to prevent his name from like showing up 17 times in the credits, he uses a different credit name. So like he takes his cinematographer credits uh, as I believe it's his father's name. Oh, so I was like okay. Googling Steven Soderbergh's father's name to try to find out like, who's this guy? Every time I like see one of these movies and I'm really impressed, it's shot by this guy. Who is he? And it turns out that he's also Steven Soderbergh. He's the same so, dude the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. So... That's 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 what I want to be doing. I like doing different things. I like doing different kind of movies, and I like trying everything and just seeing what works and having a lot of fun. And uh, without ever having met him or talked to him, just from seeing his movies, it seems like he's having a blast. So you being like a director and doing all these movies, do you see movies in a different way now? Like when you go to the movie theaters, do you try to pay attention to like the acting and the like the the way it is because i know when me and jacob started doing like me and my son we started being in movies i, I was i started first and i started bringing him on now he sees the behind the scenes of being in movies so every time like we want to go to the movies that's like our thing now we go to the movies and we watch really really closely of how they act and like the way the synth the scene switches to the next scene and all that stuff and then by the end of the movie, we're like, I give it a 10 or I give it an A. And like, yeah, this person could have done better. This person, you know, they got a really good guy for this, you know, for this part. So how do you, how do you see movies now when you watch them? Yeah, absolutely. When It, it kind of depends. I think the first time I watch a movie or a show, I'm definitely just watching it for the experience of this is a new thing that I'm interested in seeing. Mm -hmm. And I just watch it and I'm just there for the, there for the experience. And I, I absorb the characters and the story. And if something stands out about it, I'll watch it a second time. Queen's Gambit, I watched Queen's Gambit three times. I know other people who've watched it more than three times. I know a lot of people who've only watched it once. Um, I thought it was beautiful. And when I watched it the second time and when I watched it the third time, I was paying attention to different stuff. Right. So, and there's movies too, where I'll, I'll watch the same movie multiple times. Um, and sometimes I like stuff that's really popular and blows up. And a lot of the time, it's like the stuff that gets really popular and blows up, I'm not really all that into it at, as like, you know, for just me as an artist. And I think I maybe have kind of obscure taste. Um, so I find other movies that I do really, 
like and I, I watch them repeatedly because I just find them so exciting and engaging. And I want to make movies like that. I want to make movies that people like me will watch them like seven times and just pick them <laughs> apart and think about why the character is doing this decision at this time or why the camera is moving a specific way uh, or why it's lit how it's lit. Because right. so much of the emotion and the drama comes from the lighting. Yeah. And, and you can have the same script. Here's another cool thing about Alan Williams. He did a movie called The Human Condition. I think it's on Vimeo. Um, and each scene, it's like different vignettes. But every vignette has the same written script. It's, this, it's two characters having the exact same conversation, word for word, in different contexts. And it's just crazy how the context and who we perceive like what what assumptions we draw about the character based on how they look and where they are right and then also like how the scenes are lit and where they take place the setting the actual like location where the actor where the characters exist all of that has impact on how these exact same words are delivered and I just thought that was genius that Alan did that. Yeah, absolutely. I've never seen anything like that. It sounds interesting, though. It's basically just like you have three different scenarios, but the exact same script. To right. Also. right. So you could be like, it could be just so dramatically like extreme for how like con like how much it contrasts, right? Like you could have right. like a horror themed like one part, and then like the second part of the vignette could be like, you know, like a drama, or like, and then the third one could be like romantic, you know. And like depending on what the context is, obviously, but the way that you deliver so your weird. speech is what I think I gotta be see that just to see what you're talking about. Yeah, laying the foundation <laughs> of what will be portrayed. Yes. Go to Vimeo and search Alan Williams' The Human Condition. Yeah, and it just it really it really tells me too, like as a filmmaker. It's not about the dialogue. The dialogue is important. The dialogue needs to be there. I mean, there's silent movies too, so the dialogue doesn't need to be there. <laughs> but like in a lot of movies, you know, there's dialogue. It's kind of weird sometimes if there's not dialogue. But the dialogue's not the most important part. It's not even the most important part of the performance. So the actor learning their lines and just being able to say the lines isn't what makes the scene. <laughs> so. Filmmaking is a visual medium, and there's audio, sure. Mm -hmm. Music's really important. Being able to hear the dialogue is really important. But visually, it's got to look how it looks, which lens you use, how you light it, where you set it, how the actor is dressed. All of those things play into what people are taking away and what those lines actually mean. And especially in like the human condition where every scene is literally the same lines, they don't mean the same thing. Those They're not having the same conversation. They're saying literally the same words, but each scene they're talking about totally different stuff. And it's all about the context and just the subtext of like, okay, you're saying that, but you're holding this and you're dressed this way and you're standing here and you're looking at me like this and your body language is doing this how how an actor holds themselves tells you a lot about like the line that they're saying mm -hmm. all of it yeah. it's just it's crazy how much depth there is to acting yeah to cinematography to directing and to writing all of it yeah wow 
I agree. No, yeah, the the like, I'd say the not the biggest films that I've worked on. Actually, the films that like had the like the smallest budgets were like my most in depth roles, but that had nothing to do with like the script itself. I think it was just like the the place and the time and the people, right? It was like a student film for here in Arizona in Tucson at U of A. And it was like a buddy of mine, uh, Marcos Fidal, shout out to him. Yeah. He had me playing the lead for one of his films called Miss Simon. And the premise of that, it was like a I was playing a schizophrenic painter that like, you know, had this like love interest for, and it was like his first girlfriend per se, when he was like a little teenage kid. And like the stuff that I had to do to kind of like conceptualize and just like mold my mind around what it's like to be a schizophrenic. It's like one, you have to do your research, obviously. So, you know, I looked up what are the different types of schizophrenia. There's stage one, there's stage two and stage three. Stage one is like, you know, auditory hallucinogens. And then stage two is like, you're actually like visualizing too. Stage three is like you see like the like you hear the auditory hallucinations and you're seeing like the visual hallucinations, but you're also like interacting with them as well. So like that's the biggest difference. Just a, like a quick crash course on schizophrenia. And wow. it's trippy because like I had I had, uh, I had type three stage three schizophrenia, which is like full blown. Like I'm talking to myself in public, like, uh, for example, Tyler Durden from Fight Club. That's yeah. like how like the level of schizophrenia I was. And it's like. The stuff that I had to do on a daily basis, like you, it's you, you kind of have to make that sacrifice, which is also a part of the beauty of filmmaking all the way around too, from just like, not just in front of the camera, behind the camera too, like you were exclaiming too, with cinematography. There's so much that goes into it that people don't know until they like do it themselves. You can right, be like all right. day long, like this movie sucked, this movie sucked. And then it's like, so the people that like the movie like it for these reasons. And it might be because they've actually made films before and that's why they like it. They're like, oh, I can see like the depth that it took to get the lighting right. this way, to get like the color correction this way, especially if it's like the gray coloring aspect and stuff like that, which takes so much time to do in the back office mm -hmm. and post-production. Like there's just so many different things once you start learning how to make your own films that you appreciate so much more about films. I know that like, since I took my filmmaking journey and started actually like really taking it seriously, Seriously, by the time I was like 18, I since then I have not been able to look at films the same. Right. That's that's kind of what I was just telling him about that before you walked in. It's like, oh, okay. You guys mean, everybody, yeah. No, we were just kind of on the topic a little bit when when me after me and Jacob been in movies. The way we see movies now is completely different from before we've ever even been yeah. in a movie. Like before we saw the behind the scenes, like it's all different. The way I say it is yeah. like once you squeeze like the toothpaste out of the tube, like you can't put it back. You can't put it back in. The once tube, you take right? the red like, pill, yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of trippy like that because I, I like I said going back to just to sum up just to just to sum up what I was saying about playing the schizophrenic. It's, the the script itself was kind of like. A, uh, in comparison to Russell Crowe's A Beautiful Mind. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, what I was portraying, it was just so like, nothing was psychologically like, like tentative or tethered to like how I am as a person. You know, there's like certain aspects about myself where I'm like, oh, I feel like clinically insane. Maybe I should get myself checked in. It's just a really stressful day. Right. <laughs> but imagine not being able to check out of that, you know, like you're like that, like full blown, like all day in, all day out. You don't know what's real and what's not, essentially. And, like, that, there's a lot of people that live like that. So I took that yeah. into account, too. Like, holy shit, like, this isn't just, like, some made-up thing that's fiction. Like, this is something that people that walk among us, like, actually go through. And I had to take that into account. Like, God, there's a sense of compassion behind it, but there was also a sense of, like, God, like, 
in order for me to be this person, I have to be a certain way. So I have to like, like display like these mannerisms and these antics and like even just the ticks too, you know? Cause like yeah. whenever, like whenever there was a tick that I kind of like came up with and, and Marcos really liked it. It was like me kind of like, like twitching. And that's when I like would, would see something that wasn't there, but that would like initiate that I was seeing something on camera right like that that tick was like what was displayed clue, as right. like now the audience knows that i'm now going to be seeing something that's not yeah. real but everyone else does not see only me I, only i can see that what is going to be like shown right now and right. then afterwards of course it's like the next the next like cut scene is like a freaking father with like his little boy at the coffee shop and they're sitting there staring at me like having a conversation with myself like at a table with no one sitting in the other the seat across from scene, me. Yeah. No one sitting, yeah, exactly. No one sitting at the seat across from me. <laughs> and they're just sitting there like, let's let's get out of here, son. This guy's fucking crazy. Like, blah, 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 <laughs> you know? So it was pretty cool to get that type of experience because you know, when you do those kind of films, it like it opens up your your mind and your heart too for like different ventures that you're like, oh shit, like maybe I should become more versatile in what I'm doing. And that's what Abai is like the fucking king of to doing in Tucson. Cause he's like, dude, I do a lot of comedies, but now I'm like getting into the realm of like thrillers. And that was kind of a follow-up question that I did have about 8,000 feet up actually too. If we can go back to that for yeah. a second, yeah, yeah, which is like, would you consider 8,000 feet up like the genre, like more of a psychological thriller? Yeah. I'd say it's definitely a psychological thriller with that nice. question. There, there is comedy in it. And I think maybe that's partly because my background is making comedies. But at the same time, like, comedy is just something that happens. It's, like, relatable. Yeah. Having, like, suspense is... I mean, suspense happens in life. But, like, movie suspense and a psychological thriller, that's less common. That doesn't happen to everyone every day. Mm -hmm. But there's usually something kind of funny that happens. So in 8,000 Feet Up, there's a lot of comedy. There's a lot of moments in between the suspense where the characters are having a funny conversation or they're doing a funny thing. And there's just comedy. And there's dialogue comedy. And there's we also play with physical comedy, like Three Stooges stuff. Not that yeah. over the top. <laughs> but, I mean, there's a scene where an actor his character gets really frustrated and he's got those pants that like zip at the knees and they turn into shorts mm -hmm. and he's trying to like, he's <laughs> yeah. trying to zip it back up into pants and it was easy to turn it into shorts, but to turn it back into pants while he's wearing oh. it, it's kind of tricky. I do remember that was a, that was Furman's scene. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Furman did a great job and he, his character was just so angry at that moment <laughs> that like now he can't even put his pants back together and that's making him even more angry than what the plot put him so in. He just flips so out it's just like, little stuff like that. He's like yeah, where sitting on the camping chair. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's getting so, cold outside. <laughs> so yeah, there's definitely a lot of funny moments in 8,000 Feet Up, but it's absolutely a psychological thriller. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, I just wanted I just wanted to clarify that. That was actually more of a personal question, too. I was like, wait, hold on. What would you consider this, you know? Like, yep. Absolutely. Yeah, and I want to do... Um, I've got plans for the next couple productions and everything is always flexible. I've found, cause we were talking earlier about, you know, if you don't have studio money and you're just trying to like make whatever kind of agreements you can with the people who you have access to, mm -hmm. 
Sometimes you think, oh, this is going to be the next movie I do. But then you hit a roadblock. Something happens. Uh, when we were doing the Christmas movie, we had to get pretty creative because we were on a tight schedule because our lead actress was going to Spain. Oh, yeah. Spain's on the other side of an ocean. I can't just be like, oh, sorry, we need to reshoot a scene. Can you come back? Right. Like yeah. when she was gone, she was gone. Yeah. So if you read the credits, there's actually, we kept filming with the other actors. We shot her out first because she had to go to Spain. We kept filming with other actors and we just had them like wear the same color sweater and then have like their hand in the foreground of the shot mm -hmm. or something like that. So there's actually doubles for it. Harmony in multiple doubles that we used based on who was available to be a double for the back of the head of this actress who had gone to Spain. Um, so you got to do stuff like that. But sometimes you think a movie is going to be the next movie and something happens and suddenly that movie is put on hold. And now if you don't have other movies that you're also simultaneously planning for, you've got to start all over at square one again and figure out what's my movie idea what do I want to explore? What are the themes? What are the potential characters? Where are the plots going to go? What's the ending? What's the message? So I always am pursuing multiple stories at the same time. And I often will pursue different stories with different people. And then that way, if one person's schedule changes, that's okay. We can still do that movie later. But now this person's schedule may be opened up. So we can make more progress on that movie idea. But we were like already simultaneously talking about making four more movies. We just don't know which ones we're going to make this year or next year or the year after that. So I always, I always plan as much as I can. Well, yeah, I plan what the ones that I'm most excited about. I pick a few. And if other people are excited about them too, then I go for it. And if All I'm right. excited about an idea and I pitch it to a few people and they're not excited then, okay, that one's going back in the Google Docs folder and I'll yeah. pick it up again in two years or something. Yeah. Um, so the next one that's really coming together is an adaptation of a classic murder mystery novel from the 1920s. And I'm really excited about it because we have a lot of cool ways that we've updated the, the story. Uh, we're sticking as close to the books as we can uh, plot-wise but we have to make some changes because in 1920s England, they didn't have Google. They didn't have smartphones, uh, cars. Not everyone had a car. It wasn't common. So there's a lot of things that happen in the story where it's like, okay, if we just literally do this script, like if we turn the book into a script and film that set in present day Tucson, people are going to ask a lot of questions like, oh, why didn't they just Google that? Why didn't they just call him and resolve the whole misunderstanding? And then there's no right. mystery anymore. Right. So, so it's coming up with ways to like update the logistics while still sticking true to the plot. Mm -hmm. And that's been really exciting. Um, so we've done two scripts based on two different classic murder mystery novels. Uh, one of them we, we found a perfect location. It's going to be a very expensive location. So maybe 2024, <laughs> maybe we're working on it. We'll continue to work on it. And if that one comes together, we do it. Uh, another one is much simpler settings. It's mostly people's houses. 
Um, and that was kind of what was appealing to me about that specific script is like, oh yeah, this is just, now they're at this character's house and now they're at that character's house. And now they're at this other character's house. And then they're like in between or at, you know, a restaurant, things that we have access to mm-hmm. because there's plenty of them in Tucson. And the cast was kind of small. I mean, it's a bigger cast, but there's like three main characters. And then aside from those three main characters, everyone else has like half as many lines or fewer. So I'm really excited about that one. Bo's going to be one of the leads in that one, one of our three leads in our murder mystery. Uh, We have all the locations lined up already, and that's such a great feeling because locations is really hard to get. So I try to get the locations first before I approach people about, hey, do you want to act in this movie? Because if I can't get the location and Bo starts learning his lines, it'd be really rude of me to be like, oh, sorry for wasting your time. Right. This we're gonna you know. we're gonna have to delay production because <laughs> right. of this reason. Yeah, usually... the, I wrote a script about robbing a bank and getting away in a helicopter, and I can't find a bank, and I don't own a helicopter, <laughs> yeah. so I can't film it now. So you got to work within your means. Yeah, right. but that is yeah. one thing too that we get, we're good at complimenting each other with too, because like a lot of the like production value that I give, I'm a producer on a film is like knowing locations, right? So like, I know like other different films we've worked on where it was like another person's company, etc. Like just yeah. desserts, it's like yeah, I know like the owner of that restaurant, so like yeah, that's cool. You could bring it in, and there's there's been a couple of different instances too where that's been like a factor as well. But that's one thing too that gets undermined so quickly too in filmmaking. Everybody that's watching out there and that's kind of like learning like the very beginner 101 specs of filmmaking too, lock down your locations because a lot of filmmakers won't do that until it's like, well, we gotta like find a location in two weeks, and it's like, no offense to any filmmakers that are watching me that I've been through that with when I'm producing your films, but it's like just lock it in advance as much as possible. That's I'm not trying to bag or like say like any names out there. I'm, now that's that I think about it, there's a couple. There's a couple of people that are probably watching this and be like, oh well, like Bo, like when you're producing my film, not Stuff not happens. anything exactly. <laughs> not, indie nothing is personal. About overcoming challenges and solving problems. Exactly. You can plan your film out as as detailed as possible. It's not going to go according to plan. Stuff's going right. to go wrong. Never yeah. does. Never does. But if you have the plan, when stuff does go wrong, you don't have to be as stressed because you still have most of the plan in place. Right. So it's good to plan. It's also good to have a team. Yeah. So a good friend of mine, uh, Dave Ritchie, um, just uh, I always want to say graduated. That's not the right word. He didn't graduate from Raytheon. He retired from Raytheon. Nice. So, and he's got a lot of project management skills and, and making sure that we, we get, get Excuse projects me, yeah. across the finish line and, and that the people are staying on track. He's and, a cool uh, guy. That's a yeah. cool guy right yeah. there, you guys. Shout out to so, Dave Ritchie, everybody. He's really cool. I met him on the set of 8,000 Feet Up. Yep. yep. He was our script supervisor. So, and for the next one, he's going to be the assistant director. So he's going to be doing all of the people managing and the, and a lot of the logistics the and scheduling, and kind of like a PA actually too, like a PA and like and like a pers- uh, production assistant, more in like like Hollywood films. That's mostly what they do. Yeah, I know in indie films, a PA like it covers so many different things across the board. Since it's a smaller budgets, just equal like more hats that have to be worn by one person. But yeah, that's that's cool that he's like he, he talked to me about that actually too when we filmed mm-hmm. out at the VFW on Cowtown. 
Oh yeah, yeah. That was a fun night of filming. But yeah, he was saying too. He's like, I want to get more involved with film. Like he's like, I'm fucking retired. Like I don't got shit else to do. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, it was so it's cool, and it's like you see that kind of culture here in Tucson. People that are like, you know what? Like this is kind of like a tire- retirement community. And then you see like you know people that are like you know in their mid fifties or sixties that'll be like, I want to get into film. I've always thought about it. Always entertained the idea. But now that I'm like sitting on my like, you know, 401k and my pension after I retire, <laughs> like I can afford to take the risk more, more along per se, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. and it's cool to see like that Tucson is like so welcoming about that too. Cause if it were in bigger cities, I'm sure it wouldn't be as much like, yeah. 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 And it's, it's a lot easier to do what you love doing when you don't have to worry as much about like, Oh man, how am I going to pay bills? Cause yeah, it's, it's uh when I when I moved to Tucson, I didn't have a job, I didn't have any friends, uh anywhere to live, I didn't have anywhere to park my tiny house. Right. Um and we ended up turning that story into a movie. Right. Um, I've seen that. But but yeah, so it was a it was a challenge, but I knew I didn't know. I had a feeling about Tucson. I, I visited I had really low expectations before I got here. Right. And then when I first arrived, my expectations like dropped even lower. <laughs> and then, uh, but as I started meeting people, I'm like, wow, everyone in Tucson is just so cool. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to try to make Tucson work for one year. And if it doesn't work, I'm just going to go somewhere else. Right. And now five years, five later. plus years later, I'm yeah. still here. Awesome. And nice. yeah, well, things have just come to together. Really. Yeah, absolutely. I've met really great people. And uh, it's yeah, it's 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 a good place to get back on your feet. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. We've known each other since I think you first moved out here. I'm trying to think when we did the first film, Pepperoni. That, pepperoni. Yep. <laughs> you already knew what I was about yeah. to say. Yeah. So when that was like, what was that 2018? I want to say it's got to yeah, be like 2018. 2018. Yeah. So you had just moved to Tucson, mm-hmm. and it's just cool that we've been able to, you know, like I said, establish that rapport and then just like remain friends absolutely through the years yeah. and through all the different things we've been through with different films that weren't even our films. And now you're doing yep. your films, which is like, that's even more along the lines of what I want to do. I want to partner up with people that like I can trust and like want to do films with. It's their own yeah. companies. We don't have to go through Same. any like third party or anything. Like we can do it on all, all on our own, you guys. And that's like the first yeah best part about tucson y'all it's like if there's anywhere to try to like start something independent it would be tucson one because like your cost of living is not gonna like deteriorate your budget because you have to come up with all xyz expenses that are separate from like your film expenses right so like that ground zero for this is like already like a pretty good platform and then from yeah. that then like evolving from that standpoint like the the building blocks you need on top of that foundation is like not going to be as expensive either because it's not like you have to pay all this crazy money to rent studio equipment from people like if i even has said tonight on the on the show like i will rent my equipment to people or i'll just show up with the equipment and just do it depending on what it is like he said in the context and like who's involved etc etc all the different factors are going to be like a part of it but like you don't find that in any other bigger cities like i was saying like i know buddies of mine in la he's like no, I'm not going to run out my equipment for free. Hell no. He's like, you know how much money I have to pay like in my yeah. overhead? Like $2,500 for just like one little room in a freaking 800 square foot apartment. Like, mm-hmm. and he's, and it's like, that's the reason why Tucson's more of like the, in the indie town. That's like, 
can make it happen and then not have to rely on like a corporate structure or like any person that you are going to be hiring has to have like some kind of like corporate background on the resume too to like get the job or anything like that like it's all pretty like negated from the whole corporate culture which is what i like about tucson absolutely i was gonna say too like I had so much fun working with you the last film. So if you need even background people, I like putting myself in situations where I'm uncomfortable because that's to me that I'm learning more. It's like more progress. It's like like the, the film we did with False, or I did with False though. Yeah. I had to speak Spanish the whole thing. And I, I anyone that knows me, I suck at Spanish, but I was totally uncomfortable. I was totally out of my element and, and I did it. And after that, I felt like really good. So I was like, fuck yeah, I want to do it again. Like, <laughs> like, that's just, yeah. It's just being in this, being there and doing it. It like I love. There's no other feeling better than that. You know? We're gonna introduce Tess. She's actually part of Avai Media. Also, this is the wife of Avai. Oh yeah. What up, Tess? Get up in here. Come get on the microphone real quick, too. Everybody, this is Tess, the Amidco. Come on down. Hello. <laughs> you you. So Tess, Tess is the designated undesignated. You guys work that out. That's your guys' company. COO of Avai Media LLC. Yeah, I didn't know I was coming on tonight. So uh, let me know if you have questions. Yeah. So let's go back to your first one. What's the first project you've done here in Tucson? Oh, man. So like 10 years ago, if you would have told me that I'd be making feature films and they'd be for sale on Blu-ray at Walmart, I would have maybe laughed. <laughs> maybe been I don't know. Maybe I probably would have thought you were just making fun of me. Because <laughs> I didn't I didn't think I could ever achieve that. I didn't think I'd ever get there. Um so it's just been a journey of my my personal goal for myself as a cinematographer is every time I film something, I want to make it be I want to be better somehow than than what I have done in the past. Mm -hmm. I want to keep stepping up my game. Lighting is really hard, and lighting is like what makes or breaks the cinematography. Mm -hmm. You can you can have the greatest creative idea, but if you don't have the technical experience to make it work, you're going to have a great idea that's poorly lit and out of focus, <laughs> and people aren't going to be able to tell what's going on, and that's going to be distracting, and they're not going to realize how great your idea was. They're going to be frustrated by how they can't see what's going on. Right. My first film in Tucson was the Tiny House movie. Tiny House, and okay. you learned like so many technical things doing that because it was a hugely ambitious project that you said just that was jumped part, right part, into partly personal, right? Yeah. That was, that was kind of like so so that movie, I wasn't the filmmaker of that movie. I acted in that movie um and I organized it, but I I didn't do so I, I learned, I, that's, that was my first foray really into like really advanced logistics of planning and getting locations mm -hmm. and coordinating a schedule. But then once I got the schedule, then we'd show up and I would just act and other people uh, were doing the crew. So other people, like Bonnie was the cinematographer uh, and she did a great job. She was super reliable. She knows how to keep people in focus. Bonnie's awesome. Bonnie Dickinson. You can follow her on probably all the social media. She's right here in Tucson. She does camera stuff also. Nice. Shout out Bonnie. Her. Bonnie's awesome. Um, 
the I had I had an experience with a short film uh, where halfway through production, the lead actor dropped out. Oh wow! And now we were like, okay, well we have half a movie. It's a short film, but it was a twenty-minute short film. So we've got ten minutes of movie. We have another ten minutes to go. Do we still want to continue? And how do we want to continue? Mm -hmm. So we knew, we, we all talked about it. We had a meeting and we were like, okay, well, we've all invested so much into this already, even though we can't use a lot of it, we still care about the project and we want to see it through. Mm -hmm. So our production manager stepped up to be the new lead actor and she was amazing. Um, she had originally auditioned for the role when we, when we did auditions, um, but someone else uh we picked someone else uh first and then she wanted to still get involved and come on board um so she kind of worked herself into a production manager role and then from that she moved um into the role she'd originally auditioned for which was great that it worked out for everyone yeah. so we shot the second half of the movie on schedule that we had already made and we've already reserved all the locations and got the restaurants and whatever um and then after we wrapped, we went back and we redid the first half of the movie that okay. we already shot with the with the with the with the new actress. actress. Okay. So then then we ended up with the movie finished, and it was great. It turned out really great. Um, but when I came to Tucson, I didn't know anyone, so mm -hmm. I didn't have any friends. I couldn't call in any favors, right? And I didn't have a job or a place to live or any idea of how I was going to get groceries for the week. So I certainly oh, wow. couldn't pay anyone to be like, oh, here's money. Come drop whatever you're doing and act for me. So it was really just like, okay, I've got to meet some people and I've got to take chances on them. Um, but I didn't want to end up in a situation where we could do a lot of work only for one person to like screw the whole thing up for everyone else. So I was talking with my friend Brandon out in North Carolina, shout out to Brandon Lawrence. He just published his first book. Um, it's a available ebook and maybe paperback also on Amazon. It's called Etc. If you will, and it's a uh, it's a collection of hilarious writings. Yeah, uh, shout so out Brandon, yeah. yeah, so Brandon Lawrence, um, we go, we're friends going way back, uh, and we've you know we've since moved to different states and then other different states. Um, but we stay in touch and we know each other really well. So I was like, dude, here's my situation that I'm having, trying to like make life work in Tucson, trying to find a place to park my tiny house. Cause you watch those like tiny house reality shows and they're all about like, how do you buy the right tiny house? How do you decorate your tiny house? None of them are like, where can you park it? How do you get electricity? So you can have air conditioning and Wi-Fi in the summer. So so I was learning all these things the hard way, and it was just crazy, the experiences I was having. How big exactly are those tiny houses? So they come I've in seen all like one. sizes. They come in all sizes. Some are on wheels, some aren't. Mine's on wheels. It's 8 feet by 20 feet. So that's like 180 feet square foot. Okay. Really, really tiny. But, I mean, if you're from New York, like Manhattan, you're probably, like, used to an apartment that's about size anyway. Uh, <laughs> mine's just on wheels, so I don't have to be stuck in Manhattan. Um, but, but Brandon, I, I was telling him this, and he, he was like, man, we should turn this into a movie. We can, like, pull these elements from it, and let's, like, just write it. 
and Brandon was writing the scenes and he wrote my character for my personality. So that way I wouldn't have to like learn acting. I could just learn the lines and draw from the real experiences mm. and kind of be playing like a fictionalized version of myself um, where I know how I would respond in any given situation, probably, at least the ones he was writing. Um, so it was really easy for me to get into character and deliver a genuine feeling performance, I thought. And I did win an award at a film festival for my acting. So that was nice. really validating. Nice. Um, but then I, you know, I, I didn't have anyone to hold the camera. So I would go on social media and I'd say, hey, I'm trying to make a movie. I'm new in Tucson. Does anyone want to like meet up this weekend and hold a camera or hold a microphone or whatever? And I found people who were like, yeah, that sounds fun. I want to come meet you and see what you're doing. Um, and yeah, we made a movie. We finished it. It took a long time, and uh, it could have been organized better. That was on me. I'd never done something this big before. Um, but, yeah, it was a great learning experience. Yeah. That's so cool. It was the first feature, and everyone, I think, was really passionate about the tiny house idea. And you were so passionate, always telling your tiny house story to everyone we met. And that's why, like, when we first started hanging out he was always telling that story of how he used to live in a tiny house or well he did he still lived in the tiny house at the time but the whole saga of moving into the tiny house whenever we went out so i was like you have to make a feature-length movie about this story because it's so good and so engaging and everybody cracks up when you tell it <laughs> so we knew it had to be a feature film so you guys met when he had a tiny house he yeah uh-huh <laughs> Yeah, he was living in it, and we had, um, I had my own place, and I had two cats, and there was one week we both got really sick, and we just wanted to keep seeing each other still, so I moved some stuff into the tiny house, and I took my two cats, and we put them in there, and they were still little kittens at the time, but we just spent a week in there. It was like camping. It was so cozy. That's cool. <laughs> so can you tell me what, what do you do in, in this whole production thing? I do a, a lot of random things, usually just whatever we can't find somebody else to do, I'll okay. fill in. It's like the emergency. Nobody else is showing up, and right. you're right here. So, <laughs> um, Tessa he's, saved the day many oh, times. Thank you. He's had to That's teach cool. me what all of the roles are in the movie What industry. have you learned so far? Oh, my gosh, man. <laughs> I learned how to edit because he's always complaining. He's like, I'm so mad. I'm editing. So I was like, okay, fine. Like, I'll yeah, edit. I know that. Editing, editing yeah. takes so <laughs> long. I learned that from doing this stuff and editing the past episode. So I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Continue. Oh, no, that's good. Um, let's see. Well, I worked as a photographer for a while, so he didn't have to teach me too much about the camera work, but like mm -hmm. how to move the camera around while it's still filming. That was new to me. Um, and I learned a lot about working with actors. When I started coming to sets with him, he'd be like, oh, tell me what you think if you have ideas for the movie. And I'm like, at first I was really intimidated about it. Like, I don't know, maybe if I was watching this, I might expect to see this. And so over time, I've gotten to a point where I'm more comfortable. Yeah. I was always kind of scared to do that, like, especially when we we're filming, like <laughs> The Righteous Twelve with Chuck Williams. You know, he told me, like, even after seeing, just stay behind the camera, like, just learn some stuff. So I'll be there and, like, watching the stuff, and I'll be like, can I give you, like, can we do, 
I got an idea, like maybe you could do it this way. And then once or twice, he was like, all right, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> so now, now, like what I did with you when we were filming, so I'm like, hey, I have a suggestion. Maybe we yeah. should, you know. And it helps sometimes. Absolutely. Sometimes they're like, go, go fucking over there. <laughs> <laughs> I like to try things. I like to try everything. Because I've found that, like, sometimes someone will suggest something. And my initial instinct is like, oh, that's not going to work. That's going to be terrible. And then depending on what it is, like if it's about a script or something, maybe I'll like sleep on it. And then when I wake up the next day, I'll be like, you know what? They were right. And on <laughs> set, I don't have time to sleep on it. Yeah. So on set, if someone suggests something, if it's within reason and we've got time, I'm like, yeah, let's go for it. Mm -hmm. Because I won't know what will work better. When I get in post, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm not going to use that shot, but we'll shoot it anyway. And then once we get into post and we see it on the big screen, and we're trying to cut it together and we're like, oh, well, we since we have to come in from this shot and since we start and end the scene with these other shots, like mm -hmm. this one actually works really well right here. So it's like good that we shot it because yeah. it's cool. So it's it's really filmmaking has to be or at least it should be really collaborative because if I just try to make it the Abai show and do everything my way, then you're going to end up with a weaker movie in the end. And a lot of irritated people around you. Yeah, exactly. So make a lot of friends. Respect your friends because yeah. they're going to respect you. They show up that they respect you. Respect them back for showing up. Uh, listen to their ideas. And, yeah, I mean, everyone, everyone contributes something. And it doesn't matter, like, what their role is necessarily. Like, I've had actors be like, oh, hey, I've got a suggestion. What if we do this? Boom. Yeah, that's a great idea. That sounds so perfect. Um, one that really stands out to me, we worked together on the, the first Tiny House movie, was Andrea Hickey. And she she takes everything so seriously. Like, not like, like she's having fun, obviously. She has tons of fun on set. But, like, you can tell that she does her work at home like on her character and thinking about what are her character's motivations? What is her character's backstory that led her character to be in this situation right now? And she uses those details to guide her performance. And that was just so cool. And not a lot of actors I've worked with are taking it to that level. And now I don't even work with her anymore because she's always busy doing like Hollywood stuff. Uh, oh, wow. She was okay. just, uh, man, she had a really good performance. I think it was a Lifetime movie. She was the villain. And she had to be like, yeah, she had to be the villain. It was so cool to see it. She did such a good job. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really happy that she's just get that opportunity to, to even to be like a method actor. Yeah. To just put myself into that one thing and that one situation and then you know go for it but like i, I have, i've only had like small parts so far even in all my other parts it's just like shooting at people or <laughs> like, yeah. crazy shit. just that part like some of them i didn't even have like speaking scenes but they're really fun yeah being the bad guy is really fun try acting <laughs> try try anything if you're interested in anything try it yeah. because if i hadn't tried it i wouldn't be here there wouldn't be Blu-rays at Walmart with my name on them if I hadn't picked up that camera when I was a little kid and been like, oh, this looks fun. I'll try this. <laughs> um, you just got to try it. And I made so many bad movies. I've made, I mean, maybe I'm still making bad movies. Sometimes I don't really know because I'm so 
I'm so close. I'm objective. How I'm many have you done film so far? Since you started, how many uh, have you done? So short films, I can't count. Someone else once told me that I had like 70 movies on IMDb. Wow. And I'm like, no, I don't. Shit. That's way too many. And then I like looked myself up on IMDb and I'm like, oh, it's actually like 80. So it's probably more now. Damn. Um, but yeah, I've done a lot. And and I mean, even there's tons of movies I've done that are not on IMDb because that's how bad they were. Um, and I've submitted a lot of movies. I've, I've definitely hit those phases in my, in my path as a filmmaker where I'm like, oh, I think I made something really good this time. I'll send it to a bunch of film festivals. Uh -huh. And then I get a bunch of rejection letters from all the film festivals because my movie sucks. And then I'm like, oh, maybe... I mean, I don't think all the film festivals are wrong, so maybe I still have a lot to learn. Right. And you kind of get that point in your in your journey where it's like you finally figure out what you don't know that you don't know. Mm -hmm. And then once you know what you don't know, then it's really easy for you to make great leaps in your craft because you're like, oh, this is where I'm lacking. So I can learn this, and then I'll be better. You gotta be. But if you don't even know what's holding you back, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Constructive criticism, working with other people, watching who, the, who came before you, who were the filmmakers, who were the actors, who were the composers, who were doing this before you were even born. What did they have to say? Did any of them write books? Are there documentaries about any of them? Like, try try to learn. There's so many people on like YouTube. YouTube is basically free film school. YouTube is basically free <laughs> acting classes. It is. <laughs> and I mean, there's still great benefit to going to film school and going to acting classes and getting that personalized feedback on what you were doing. But you can learn so much from watching videos about what other people who are more experienced than you right. are doing. And if you can gain anything from that, even if it's just, oh, they're doing this thing that I didn't even know I should be doing. Now you can like try doing that and you'll fail at it the first dozen times you try it. But if you keep going, you're going to get better if you're trying to get better. And it's just a matter of time until you're pretty good. So we've, we've wrapped six feature films right now. And uh, three of them are just out there. You can go watch them online. Um, two of them are at Walmart. Um, and then the, the fourth one, uh, 8,000 Feet Up, is in the film festival circuit right now. So it just played at Gila Valley Inaugural Film Festival. And then the Arizona International Film Festival's 30th anniversary uh, this week. So we've just played in the past week at both of those fests. We've submitted to other Arizona festivals. We've submitted to Texas festivals. We're totally going to make a trip out to Texas if we get in. Uh, we're going to submit to some California festivals. And you we'll said that they send you rejection letters. So that means they have to review the movie that you send them, and then they choose if you're like eligible to be. Yeah, so the film festival. festivals will watch the movie that you send them. Uh, asterisk. They may not watch the whole thing. Uh, if you make a movie that's so bad that 20 minutes into it, they know that like if they did accept your movie, everyone in the audience would have left within 20 minutes, then they're not going to accept that movie because they have to think about their audience for their well, festival. Can I get a beer? So when you, uh, yeah, so when you submit to a festival, the festival, they watch it, 
Uh, a lot of the times they'll watch the whole thing, no matter how bad it is. And sometimes, you know, maybe they'll watch a third of it and then they'll stop because they're like, well, I mean, it's been this far into the movie. There's no coming back. Um, <laughs> so, so it's, uh, we do have a question in the, okay, in the comments yeah. here. They said, what do you consider a bad movie? Oh man, what do I consider a bad movie? I mean, I like a lot of bad movies, so I'm probably <laughs> not the authority on what's objectively a good movie or not. And that's, Oh, okay. No, I have an. Well, maybe. I don't know. How angry do I want to make people? <laughs> I don't really want to make anyone angry. I consider most superhero movies to be bad movies. I just don't really? like. Them. You don't like Marvel it's movies? Marvel, it's huge. Marvel's huge. They yeah. make tons of money. Everyone loves them. I just don't get it. I, I'm not really. I mean, I watched like, I watched some of them. I'm just, they, it's not exciting to me. And I mean, I know it sounds weird to say that. How can it not be exciting? Because like the whole point of the superhero movie is like, it's exciting, but I just, I don't know. I have, I have pretty obscure taste. So I like a lot of movies that other people don't like or haven't heard of. And I don't mean that in like a hipster way. I just mean that in like uh that's my personal taste. Um, I don't even, yeah. I don't know. So you didn't grow like reading comic books or anything like that? Yeah, I read some comic books, but they weren't. I mean, it was like Archie. Stuff. I read Archie. So, oh, I love Riverdale. Go watch because <laughs> Riverdale. I told someone I found someone else in Tucson who was talking about Riverdale, and I'm like, oh yeah, I love that movie. I read those comics growing up, and the guy was like, oh man, I I love I love Riverdale, but. What do you mean comics? What there were comics? And I'm like, yeah, you never read Archie. So yeah, Riverdale. Uh yeah, man, it's that that TV series, it's on Netflix. It might be other places too. I think it was the CW that made it. I'm not sure. Um but yeah, uh it was comics. It was comics before I was born. Like my maybe my parents, I don't know. Does anyone who's got Google in their pocket? When, when were the Archie comics coming out? Like 1930s or something, maybe? Like, I don't know. That Maybe that's too I want to say the 50s. That's just a guess. Definitely the 50s. Ice cream it's got, parlors, yeah, so. it's got the whole ice cream parlor <laughs> vibe. So it's probably the 50s. But yeah, man, Archie. So, I mean, yeah, I read comics, but like I wasn't reading superhero comics. Not, I think, I think maybe my parents, my parents were very protective. So I think the superhero comics were too violent. <laughs> so I wasn't allowed. That's probably what it was. But yeah, I mean, I've I've watched some superhero movies and I enjoyed them. Um, but I've watched other <laughs> superhero movies. Any favorites and, that you watched second time, third time, like Spider Man or oh any man. of those other movies? So does Kong Skull Island count? That's kind of like the whole That's monster cool. cinematic. Yeah. I liked that one a lot. I've seen it a couple times. You really like the Joker? Oh yeah, Joker. Okay, yeah, so that's a recent superhero movie. Joaquin Phoenix one? Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix. So what I like about Joker is it's not a superhero movie. So yeah, maybe you don't like it, but it's not a superhero movie. Like, it's set in a universe where there will eventually become a superhero. But, like, the path, the story that that's telling, it's like shining a light on, like, our infrastructure surrounding mental health support and... It's I like that movie so much. Yeah, I'm gonna watch Joker again a couple more times. It's on HBO Max. 
You can watch it. It's like, it's I, probably, I, if it's I on know. something else, I wish uh, they would have done it with Jared Leto because I really liked him uh, on the like Suicide Squad. You know, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Joker. He yeah, he didn't playing. get enough screen time. No, they. I think they they slept on him for a while. I really like his Joker. So Suicide Squad, I saw that and I didn't like it. But then a bunch of other people on the internet also didn't like it. I liked it okay. They did a man those those like knockoff movies, Sinister Squad. It was like they ripped off Suicide Squad, but instead of like DC universe characters, it was uh, fairy tale characters. But it's like the same movie. Like you have to get all the fairy tale bad guys together and put them on like a Suicide Squad. Except they had to call it a Sinister Squad because copyright infringement. So, yeah, that's a bad movie. Don't watch it if you haven't seen it. I just wish they would have gave him a better chance to like portray the Joker more. And it's just just that one little part and that one little movie, and that's it. Yeah. No, no more after that. I'm like, damn, that sucks. Yeah. But I think they showed him on a Jack Snyder's cut, right? At the end of it. I haven't seen him. that one. No. Maybe that's why I don't. It's like, like maybe if I saw movie. the Snyder cut, then I long. Then I'd like yeah. super. I don't know. But I don't. I don't know because I don't really. Well, I guess sometimes I love long movies. What do you think, Tess? What makes a bad movie? I don't know. It's a hard question. <laughs> yeah, it's so subjective. Like, he doesn't even like Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings. I can watch the, that oh, over yeah, and over. Three hours long. You're not going to watch the Snyder cut or the who did the Peter Jackson cut? Like, come on. Yeah, they're pretty long. I don't All have of them time for that. I like them. I got uh-huh. stuff to do. <laughs> so how to, like, from start to finish, like, from beginning of the idea of a movie to the end of production and editing where you can how long does it take you or how long would it do you think it takes to actually make one good movie i'd say at least a year a year at least um i have a couple scripts that i'm pretty proud of Mm -hmm. that i've been writing since like 2014 or 2015 or 2016 so it's been like years of just writing the script until it's perfect And I've got one that I started in 2014, and now in 2022, I'm finally at the stage where I'm like, you know what? I could film this. Um, I don't think, you know, I could write another eight years or whatever on it, but it's not going to get, there's, you know, you've hit that point of diminishing returns where you can put more effort into it. Like, you'd have to put a lot more effort to just get a little bit better. And so I think once I'm at that point, then it's like, okay, it's time to like start showing this to people. And I've already been showing it to people. I showed it to people years ago and they were like, oh, this is such a good story. You have to make this movie. And I'm like, yeah, I will. But like, it's not ready yet. (laughs) So, so sometimes uh, script ideas just like stay, they just float around until they're ready and I'll work on them for a while. I haven't, it's not, it hasn't been the only thing I've been doing for eight years, obviously, because I made six other movies during that time. Um, But it's, you know, I keep coming back to it. And I don't remember which filmmaker it was. I was reading an interview um, and and they said that, you know, they get a lot of movie ideas and they want to pursue all of them immediately. But Mm -hmm. what they do is they like push it aside at first. Just by default, they push it aside. And if that idea keeps coming back up, then they're like, okay, this is something I should pursue because this idea won't stay dead. It like keeps coming back. And so I kind of take that approach. I say I say yes to everything initially and just to like explore it for like a day. If I get a new idea, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to block out some time this week to like think about this new idea. And I'll spend a few hours writing 
to just see where can the story go? What kind of characters can be here? What themes can I explore? And then if, if I hit a roadblock, I'm like, okay, well, I'll put this aside for now. And if it comes up in a couple months or a couple years, uh, you know, but if it doesn't, then I, I gave it a little bit of a chance and it didn't go anywhere. Um, I say a movie should take about a year. Um, once you've got, once you've got the script or once you, if you want to, if the story is coming together. Yeah, pretty here, well. really? yeah, yeah, it's coming in. Sorry. Because <laughs> you can, you can work at different paces. And I've definitely spent like the first two features that I was producing, they took longer than a year because I didn't know the right way to do things right. or a good way to do things or even sometimes that there was a way I should do things. So I was really just kind of like playing it by ear and when other people were available, that's when I'd be like, oh, okay, so this person's available now. Is this location available? Can we do this scene? And I try to be more organized. So with the two recent features that we wrapped, 8,000 Feet Up, which is in uh, festivals right now, and then the other one we shot after that called The Tuesday Wedding, which is in post-production right now, uh, with both of those movies, we filmed them in about a month. So we did the pre-production. We did pre-production for a couple months. And then we had a few weeks to a month to a month and a half or so of actual filming, which is the fun part, of course. Um, and then after filming, we spend close to a year in post. It kind of depends. Um, but we took really different approaches so like when we rushed the production phase for both 8,000 feet up and for a Tuesday wedding, we were like, okay, once we're in production, we're in production and this is what we're doing. We're not taking a break. We're just going to shoot it, shoot, shoot it until we've shot every scene. And when our spreadsheet says that we've shot every scene, then we're done. Mm -hmm. So that was good um, because we were able to get it done quickly. But it was also not so good because we don't have a big enough crew to be like, okay, we need an on-set editor. I've never had an on-set editor. I've never worked on a set that has had an on-set editor. It's just not something that I see in independent films with no to low budgets. Right. So we do have a monitor now, so yeah. multiple people can watch it, but we have to like keep connecting it to the Wi-Fi. <laughs> oh, we well, we got one that's not on uh, Wi-Fi too now. So interesting to me because it's like <clears throat> you're like giving free game. Yeah. And like we we could be literally charging like stream <laughs> like pay-per-view yeah some this of is like stuff. film school i've here. been sitting backstage talk tv film school. i've been backstage just like soaking it all up and i'm just like this is amazing like the lord works in mysterious ways like um man it's just a privilege to to have you on you're like a guru of filming because it's like everything that's it's like <clears throat> everything that's coming out your mouth right now i'm just like i hope the videographers and the up and coming uh, photographers, all that uh, is taking notes because this was a very important episode of this. We don't have too many directors. I know we had Chuck Williams, shout mm -hmm. out to Chuck Williams. Yeah. Um, but this was a, 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 a very good episode. I know we were used to having 
artists, uh, music artists from around the city, Phoenix, or whatnot. But this man, it, this one was a really good Thank episode because, like, some of the stuff I'm, I know that stuff is tedious, the editing and all that stuff, and yeah. talking about, like, man, I, I'm, I'm getting paid to do this. Sit down, bro. <laughs> Sit down in front of the computer. I'm for getting like paid five hours. And no, that's why I love this dude right it. here, dude. I love, <laughs> I love this guy right here for real, for real. This guy Jacob, man, he's been he, man, for real. Bar Talk TV wouldn't be what it is today if it wasn't for Jacob Romo. Big shouts out to him. But man, this is this been. That, hey, let me not interrupt. I just I just came oh, yeah. in and say hi and whatnot. But you guys are talking about some A one A list type stuff, and I love it. And I, I I hope everybody out there that's paying attention that that's up and coming. I, I know we're gonna ask uh, ask that question. I'm coming down the list. Yeah, like we're almost there. <laughs> One one thing I wanted to ask before I get up out of here. Briefly, what are three things that you wish you knew at the beginning versus what you know now? Like, if you're able to, to talk to your old self and be like, boy, do this. Why? How come you wasn't doing this in the past? Like, what is the Three, like sum it up briefly. Yeah, like specific to filmmaking or life in general? Life in general, like kind of like giving advice to your old self or actors, entrepreneurs, all that. I know that's one of the, one of our biggest you questions. Go ahead. You, got, you can ask me. But yeah, what yeah. is your advice to people that, that are tuning in right now, our audience right now? Um, I know it says whatever, whatever right there. That's not the real uh, oh no, that's not time. Time, you're gonna see that at the end. We're gonna have way more than that. But what would what would what advice would you give to your old self and the viewers out there that's up and coming entrepreneurs, um, filmers, directors, actors, or whatnot? Yeah, I think um, advice that could help no matter who you are or what you're trying to do with your craft and where you want to go. Two things, and this first one, someone gave this to me, was eat a lot of vegetables. <laughs> just eat more vegetables. If you just try to eat more vegetables in your life, everything's going to be better. Like, trust me, uh, the earlier you start, the better that's going to be able to impact you the rest of your life. Good eat more stuff. vegetables. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Let, real quick, I, I, uh, we do podcasts every week at, um, for acting class. And no, we, we've been through 13 podcasts and not one. Um, and they're from all over New York, everywhere, because our professor, he's been on Broadway and all that. But um, nobody has ever said that. They're, they're saying, <laughs> be, be, be truth, be truthful, uh, don't act too much or uh, be yourself or whatever. Nobody's said that. Okay, I'm interested mm -hmm. in the next one. Yeah, so the next one I'd say is uh, try to try to pursue because, like, we we kind of talked about this earlier. Like, it's hard to focus on your craft when you don't know where you're going <clears> to <throat> get groceries this week. Mm -hmm. And and this is something that I've lived through, and uh, it's 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 rough out there. 
Right. And I know many people have had it way worse than I have ever had it or will probably have it. And I just can't even imagine some of the stuff some people are in uh, tough situations. But I think you've got to. I think anyone and I just I was just having this conversation with a couple actors recently. Mm-hmm. I think anyone can like turn things around given enough time because it's always about time, Put and in time dedication and like what what do you really care about? And one piece of advice, um, I think actually a therapist gave it to me, one of those free therapists who's like uh, they're they're at the University of Phoenix and they're like want to be a therapist but they have to get X number of hours, like clinical hours with patients before they can graduate. Uh So I did one of those. And my student therapist was like, pick, like identify what are the most important things in your life this month, at this moment, not so like, you know, there's no wrong answer just for you right now. What are the three most important things in your life? And try just for the next month or two months or week, however you feel comfortable Try to only say yes to things that pursue, like that directly pursue whatever those three things are. Don't get distracted because it's hard. And I mean, I still, Tess gives me shit about this all the time because anyone (laughs) pitches an idea to me. Yeah, anyone pitches an idea to me. They're like, oh, Vi, you film stuff, right? What if you did this? I always want to say yes. I'm always like, don't be a yes man. Don't be a yes man. So you've got to, you've got to put yourself first. Because it's very unlikely that other people are putting you first. Because right. everyone else is in the same boat. And they're all putting themselves right. first too. And and you've got to take care of yourself. And you've right. got to make sure that you're on track right. with pursuing your goals no matter what that is. Amen. And what are the three most important things right now? And if you don't have rent this month, make that a priority right. before like <laughs> Bills. helping out on someone's movie. But, like, if, but if like okay, say okay, you're constantly looking for work as an actor. Mm-hmm. Say whether it be LA, uh, voiceovers, what have you. Um, of course, rent is due. Mm-hmm. But um, if they say uh, we want you to do the sex scene and whatnot as like a female, or whatnot. Um, Yes, man. At that, the bills gotta pay, or um, I say you Uber your fucking way to to the scene. <laughs> Start giving people rides. Well, I'm just saying the bills yeah, gotta be paid. So, but making money, giving people rides. I'm like J- like how J- <laughs> like J Lo started. J Lo started as a backup dancer on In Living Color. Living Color, yeah. But she has been filmed and took a picture. But it's just like what he just said. Like bills first. You gotta take care of this. And your mental or whatnot, mm-hmm. um, and like like what I've been learning a lot was another thing. Of course, is following that character within yourself, and like the Johnny Depp. And I I know we don't want to get too far in a Johnny Depp situation. I shout out Johnny Depp, but uh, your mental your mental is priority one yeah. for sure. So I think what what he was getting at was like. At least for a vibe, we have a lot of people that come and say, I have this really great project and we're really excited about it. Can you help out on it? And we want to 
help out on everybody's project who's mm -hmm. really excited about it. But if you're struggling in your own life with things that aren't art or things that even maybe they are, but other people can't <coughs> see them happening because mm -hmm. it's the just vision. part of your private life. Yeah. Um, when you go to go and help out other people, it's it can take a mental toll on you mm -hmm. if maybe you think like like they're putting that project as their priority and they're really excited that you're going to help out but if you say like oh i have to go do this other job and they might they might get uh upset or something discouraged. Like yeah discouraged right. you know like, well, I, well, I can't be yeah. on your priority yeah. list yeah well, but then i see where our friendship is going <laughs> Every, everyone yeah. has but different priorities so back to you i had another question like, yeah since you started i know like there's a lot of sacrifices that you you have to put in like what what would you say you sacrificed you know throughout this all this time i know a lot of people are like oh i sacrificed like my time with my family my time with my kids like what have you you know yeah gone through? i mean i sacrifice on a lot for me it's definitely like a lifestyle thing um i don't know how heavy we want to get tonight but we're coming up on a 10 year anniversary of something uh, really dark for me. And I was kind of at a point in my life where I was like, I, I didn't really care if I was going to be alive or dead. Um, and I just, I, I knew that I was really not enjoying my life. And uh, I guess, I guess for me, I kind of just, the idea came into my mind where I was like, well, you know what? If the alternative is just being dead anyway, why not just fuck it and just go all in, like go for whatever you want to go for mm -hmm. and just see how far you can get. Cause worst case scenario, you fucking kill yourself later. Um, and, and I just, I kind of had had enough with where I was at and nothing was going my way and I didn't, I didn't have a lot of reasons to be doing anything really. Um, and I was just like, you know, just, just do, do whatever you want and see how far you can go and try to at least, you know, make something out of something or have fun out of something. Um, and everyone's journey is totally different and everyone goes to different places and, and has different things and different medical stuff and whatever. Um, but you know, for me, that was that realization of like, well, you know, if I would just be dead anyway, why don't I just do whatever I want? Um, that, that just, that did it for me. That was like, cool. I'm going to just do, I'm going to do what I want. I want to, I want to, tell stories. I want to make films. Um, I just want to see how far I can take this thing. And I want to try to be something because I got to, I got to have something for, to live for. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I just started trying to make it happen. And I did not have high hopes. I did not have expectation. Um, and I made a lot of crap because I, you know, I'd made crap before. Um, 
but yeah, I just kept making crap and, and I, I just, because I was trying really hard to get better every time, eventually I got good ish. I mean, yeah, like we were talking about earlier, I was getting all those rejection letters from film festivals with 8,000 feet up. We made a movie, we sent it out to film festivals and the first two festivals that responded back to us both said that we got in. We were selections. We're official selections at two festivals nice. with this new movie. And that's a great feeling. I mean, I don't think we can, like, keep that going forever. I've never had a 100% success rate with anything. Um, so I think it's only a matter of time until we get to, like, you know, something really big. And they're like, oh, no, you're, like, nowhere near the level that you need to be to be in our festival. Right. Uh, we don't know. Maybe... It's hard when you're this close to a project, it's really hard to be objective. And there's a lot of times I'm talking with Alan, the director, and I'm like, man, we made a movie, right? Like, this is a movie. This looks like a movie to me. Does this look like a movie to you? And oh we're like God. asking each other that because um, it's it's hard when you're so close to something and you know all the flaws of it. Uh, how are you making a good movie? It's, it's up to the audience. It's up to the festival judges. It's up to other people. It's subjective. And it's hard. It's hard to put yourself out there and do something and have people reject you and tell you that what you're making is bad. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, if, if no one told me I was bad, would I have ever tried hard enough to improve to get to where I am now? Mm -hmm. Probably not. It's probably all those failed attempts at making movies and all those rejection letters from film festivals that pushed me to figure out what I was doing wrong and how I could do it better to now get to the point where I've won some awards at different festivals um, in different states. Like that's always a thing that uh, that, you know, I, I don't know if like the general population of people who watch Netflix like know this they see the award laurel and they're like oh yeah that's got that, that's an award laurel this is probably a good thing i'm gonna watch this um but among other filmmakers we know how the different festivals are so like getting into one festival versus another festival is like oh this festival is more prestigious or something um and with eight thousand feet up we just got into the arizona international film festival and i know a lot of other arizona filmmakers who've never gotten into that film festival and when we got in, I was like, man, I think we're on to something. I think we're going in the right direction. Yeah. You can make good stuff in Tucson with Tucson people. You don't need to go to L.A. If you want to be a professional actor and working on a network TV show full time, go to L.A. Because that's where they're doing network TV shows. Mm -hmm. um, but, man. There's a we great Tucson make... bar in the trailer. Did you talk about that yet? Yeah. So there is a great Tucson bar featured in that. And I actually thought about that when we were talking about Picaz with the uh, the home <laughs> the homemade sauces. Yeah. Um, so that can of beer that gets shot off of the log, we didn't, of course, actually shoot it. Uh, we had fishing line attached to the bottom of the can. So then when the actor pretended to shoot with the pretend gun. Um, then we pulled the fishing line to, to make the can fly off the log. Um, but that's a Dillinger Mango Nada 
Dillinger uh, Brewery right here in Tucson. They've got two locations, one on Oracle, and they are also they just expanded it onto Fourth Avenue in the where the Coronet used to be, or is. What is the Coronet? Is that a hotel? I have no idea. It was a hotel and a restaurant, very historic. I believe they have a new location now. I'm not certain. But the historic location on Fourth Avenue—that's uh, Dillinger's second location that they just opened during the pandemic, which is super impressive. Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah. So, but yeah, the Dillinger beer—we've um, filmed scenes in Dillinger before, and we had Dillinger T-shirts in positive. I think you might be able to see one in one of the trailers. Um, but definitely in the movie, they wear Dillinger T-shirts also. So Eric, uh, the owner at Dillinger, he handpicks the prickly pear and then brews it into prickly pear beer. Oh, and okay. it's so, so much effort, blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, it's right here in Tucson. That's what's up. Um, yeah, so we wanted to use. We bought Dillinger beer to put in the movie, and uh, yeah, just. Yeah, Dillinger's great. We like them. That's cool. So I have another question I have is, yeah, you doing movies and uh, directing them now. If you would, you had a chance to work with any actor, who who would it be? Like collaborate and make a movie. Like any actor in the whole world. In the whole world, yeah. Man, Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara. Yeah, I'm surprised that I didn't think longer before I said that. <laughs> Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Who is Rooney Mara? Oh man, she's super talented. She does. She's done some good stuff. She's uh, she's won a bunch of awards. Oh man, uh, another one. Grace Van Patten. We were talking about Grace Van Patten uh, in Gila Valley the other day, and because uh, we were talking about tramps. And she's also in Good Posture, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, yeah, I mean, if I, if I, oh man, I could like think of a bunch of people. Who's that guy from Rat Race? Which one? The the super funny one. Yeah. Who's from Minnesota, where I'm also from? Oh man. Now I'm like really embarrassed that I can't remember his name. <laughs> There's so many, yeah. I mean, there's so many people. Like when I watch them in one role, and then when I watch them in another role, and I'm like, wow. Like, not only were they really good in this one role, but they were also really good in this other role. I mean, there's tons of, tons of people. Yeah. Who I'd want to work with. But I mean, I we have tons of people right here in Tucson who I want to work with too. There's people in Tucson who have only. I've only worked with them on like a really minor capacity or maybe they were acting on someone else's movie that I was just there to like help out with camera stuff or with lighting for. Um, yeah. And it'd be, it'd be cool to, uh, to work more with all the actors in Tucson. Really. I most want to work with the people who most want to work with me because I don't like, trying to make something happen. Like if, if it's not happening, uh, forcing it to happen, you're not going to get too far. Right. But if you can find other people who are as excited about making movies as you are, 
and you team up with those people, you're going to get movies done. Right. And that's what's so hard. I mean, I know so many filmmakers who struggle because they're trying to, and I don't know, maybe they have other issues too, uh, other roadblocks that they, that they hit. But if you're trying to force something and it's just not working, the, the approach I take and how I've finished movies is, okay, if it's not working, if it's not coming together, don't try to force it anymore. Maybe pick it up again in a couple years, but like now move on to the next idea. And is this one going along easier? And if the other actors or whoever you're working with are just as excited about like, yeah, let's like make this one and we all pitch in and we all do part of the work. Cause like what we were talking about before too, was like it, when you're working on an independent level, everyone's wearing multiple hats, right? I totally respect unions and I understand the purpose of unions. If you go out to LA and you join the screen actors guild and you get on a movie like you are a professional actor and that's what you are there for. And someone else is doing your makeup. Someone else is getting you coffee. Right. Someone else is moving the equipment around. Right. But when you're in Tucson and we don't have a ton of money, we can't hire a person whose whole job is getting coffee or a right. person whose whole job is getting, is moving the light stands. Like we, we all do multiple things because we have limited resources, but we still need to make a movie because there's a difference. Like if you, if you don't need to make a movie, then that's fine. Do whatever you're doing. Um, but for me, I need to be making a movie. And anytime I'm not making a movie, I just keep thinking, man, what if I was making a movie right now? Wouldn't that be awesome? Right. Like just do. And, and maybe for you, it's not movies. Maybe for you, it's playing guitar or whatever like if you have a thing that you just feel compelled in the core of your being to go do that thing go do that thing right and just give yourself the freedom to fail because you'll fail and if you i think if you give yourself the freedom to fail and you just embrace your failures and you try to look at how you can be better next time. I think you can go far in whatever it is you're trying to do. I know how this, this podcast to me is like what I'm doing when I'm not acting. You know what I mean? So this is what I'm doing. Yeah. I, this is, I have a whole team that can could take care of this for me when I'm on set, if I need to be on set on Thursdays when we're doing this. So to me, I want to be more, involved in making movies and being in acting because i already told philosophy being when we started this thing i'm like if i'm ever you know shooting something like you can take care of it and you know just let the people know where i'm at and what i'm doing same thing with you if you have a show to do you're performing on one of the days or whatever that's the same thing for you i just tell him hey oh he's over here shooting this day or most of the time we just go live there we do this episode yeah. there where he's doing that you know awesome but when i what i've learned here is filming in tucson is you're right. Like we all have multiple hats to do. Like we got to do something else. Like not just, it's not, I'm not just an actor. And then I leave, you know, like, I, like when we did with you, I was like, do you need me? I got you. I'm here. I'll, I'll do whatever you need me to do. And then we just did a whole bunch of other stuff. So that's, that was cool. Like, because I learned shit, mm -hmm. you know, and I like learning stuff. I like being around people that are going to teach me things, 
Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, we've got some big things coming up. I mentioned we did that uh, that murder mystery adaptation. We've got the script, we've got the locations, uh, we have the leads. Um, so it's just it's coming together, and we hope that this will be the first of many. We've actually tentatively planned out six mystery movies. They're not all murder mysteries. Uh, we're staggering them, so it'll be like a murder mystery, and then a sci-fi mystery, and then a murder mystery, and then a sci-fi mystery. Um, but they're all like they all have that same theme of like there's a mystery there. And I really like that mystery element because I was talking like with 8,000 feet up, you just saw the trailer a couple minutes ago. Um, I mean, even in the trailer, like you can tell there's scary moments, but you can also tell there's funny moments. Cause like, she's like, are you a creep? And he's like, it depends on who you ask. Yeah. That's like, <laughs> Oh, huh, that's funny. So there's funny moments in between the suspenseful moments. Right. And, and a lot of that comes from, you know, my background is doing comedy movies but I don't want to just do comedy movies. Right. I do want to do a billion more comedy movies. I love romantic comedies. I've written three more rom-coms that I haven't shot yet. And I want to shoot them because they're funny and the characters have stories to share. They have something meaningful to share with audiences. Um, but I want to explore too. I want to explore other genres and drama is great. But it's also really easy to make a boring drama. Yeah. But if you have that mystery thread throughout, then like even no matter how the pacing goes, because it's like a roller coaster. You've got like your ups and your downs and your action, like your rising and falling action, your climaxes. Like if you if you don't want to lose your audience, there's a bunch of ways. Like ask 10 filmmakers, you'll get 20 different answers. Mm -hmm. um, one way to not lose your audience is, and, and this is because I find this personally true for me when I'm watching a movie. I love watching a movie or a TV show when there's a mystery. Because like, yeah, stuff is happening and the characters are interesting. But also, wait, what about that thing earlier? They never like told us how what that was all about. Right. So I want to like keep watching to follow their story, but also I'm really curious, like when are they going to get back to this and when are they going to like yeah. reveal more of what's going on here? So I really like Love stories it. that have a mystery element to them in addition to everything else. Cause I can still do the drama. I can still do the comedy. I can explore the characters and the lifestyles and the situations that they're in. But then there's also like this, just this looming mystery kind of surrounding everything and i just find that really engaging as a person who watches movies yeah so i want to make movies that do that too question 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 from the uh pasta fall um there was a question that said uh i just read it what is the most uh bloodiest or like prop um scene that you've dealt with that i've dealt with man dealt with or produced or produced, <laughs> produced. so or, like so that, you, that was like yeah real. like i mean i get what they're just saying i just wanted to come in here and yeah 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 it was just like um and how did it work and what was the process i think that we're saying yeah so uh in eight thousand feet up which you can see next month at the screening room, May 28th. It's Saturday. Did we already play that trailer? Yeah, we just, just played the trailer a few minutes ago. Um, so in that trailer, 
the these two people are out for a hike in the woods and they see this blood and they're not looking for blood they just kind of stumble into it and then they're like oh well what kind of blood is this whose blood is this, this is kind of creepy like where did this blood come from and they follow the trail of blood and we see this rabbit foot sticking out from behind a tree at about like eye level rabbits are not that tall especially right. not their feet they're on the ground usually uh, and we just see this blood dripping down this rabbit's foot and you don't we don't know so we don't away. know what happened don't yeah i don't want to give away. i don't want to give too much away um but i think you know when you watch the movie i i think we made the most of what we had because we didn't have a huge budget to like bring in prosthetics and replica things. You know, I have a friend that I met that she's really good at makeup and like cuts and blood and all that. I can totally, you know, hook you up. Yeah, with shoot us an email or something to introduce yeah. us. That'd be Network really networking good. at its finest. Yeah. yeah. Networking at its finest. Man. This is, we, we've been uh, getting a, a good response for this particular podcast, and I just want to say, man, it, it's been a, a really good podcast, like, rip for real. I'm, I'm just looking at the numbers, and I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's nice. awesome. That's awesome to hear. I, I think I'm down to my last couple questions, if you want to continue. Yeah. Uh, where, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Oh, man. That is, I deal with that. <laughs> that screenplay that I've been writing for eight years, uh, that's kind of the theme of that screenplay is how it's so impossible to know sometimes. I do know people who, you know, their lives don't really change a whole lot from year to year. Mm -hmm. They get in a routine and they like the routine and it's working for them. But for me, man... It's like every way less than five years, like every just a couple of years, my life is totally different. And my life has changed in ways that I never even thought possible. Like 10 years ago, you would have told me that I would have tests. I wouldn't believe you. But it's just like, be blowing my that's, mind. That's what, that, that was one of the <laughs> biggest things. And I, I know I'm, I'm right here to the, uh, to the, to the right over by. Um, what is the biggest obstacle that you had ever had to overcome in your career um let him answer the just, first question yeah so it's um man so much can change in such a short time because i was living in minnesota um and it was really cold and I had a house that I didn't know how to make the payments on. And I figured it was only a matter of time before the bank foreclosed on the house. And then I was kicked wow. out and I didn't want to be homeless in Minnesota because it's really cold right. in the winter. And I was afraid of like freezing to death. Right. Um, I got a job uh, and the only job I could get was a janitor job, overnight janitor at a convention center. And even though I was working as many hours as they could give me, I wasn't able to pay my bills. And that was just one of the most helpless feelings that I've felt because I, I was doing everything right, right? right? Like I went to school and I got a job 
and I got a house mm-hmm. and I'm working at my job and the bank is going to like kick me out of my house because my job's not paying me enough. That's a bad situation. Right. And I, I couldn't see what I was doing wrong. And it, it was so hard. It felt like I, I was such a failure because I was doing the things I'm supposed to be doing and life still sucks. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So I figured I'd, I'd get a, I'd get ahead of this and I'd list the house for sale. And that way I could at least, you know, be homeless on my own terms, I guess. Um, and that's when I, and that's when I left and I just went somewhere warm and I bounced around between six different cities uh, just trying to figure out which one I was going to so, land at. So you're a fabulous drifter, like philosophy came place to you. Well, for a couple of years I was. So, I mean, so, so much can change because a year is 52 weeks, 365 days. Yeah. Like if you're doing stuff every day for more than 300 days, things, things are going to happen. Yeah. Where so, do you visualize yourself in five years like without with like a vision board knowing that (laughs) things can change well i'm gonna keep making movies and if i keep making each movie slightly better than the last movie i mean the movies i'm making right now are way better than the movies i was making five years ago right so in five years if i can say that again that the movies i'm making in 2027 are way better than the movies I'm making now in 2022. That's where I want to be. I just want to keep growing. I want to keep on that trajectory. I want to keep getting better and telling the stories I want to tell with the people I want to tell them with and just exploring new concepts and ideas and and pushing myself creatively to find like what are the most interesting ways I can present these stories. And I, I just want to I want people to like watching what I'm doing because I'm pouring a piece of myself into each project. Right, right. My actors are pouring themselves into their roles. Mm-hmm. My composer, Freddie J. Walker, uh, he just got an Emmy nomination. So now I can say oh, wow. that my two movies that are on uh, uh, at uh, both Amazon and Walmart uh, they're both scored by Emmy nominee Freddie J. Walker, nice. uh, which is fantastic. Like, so, so, so happy for Freddie. And I've done music videos with him, and he's introduced me to so many other artists in Tucson, and we've done music videos for other artists. Um, so, yeah, big things, big things are around the corner. I don't know where I'm going to be in five years. I don't know where Freddie's going to be in five years. I don't know where you're going to be in five years, but I mean, if we keep doing what we're doing and we keep trying to get better each time, mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to be awesome. We should have this conversation again in five years and see uh, <laughs> see how much has changed. And yeah, that'd be cool. But I'm just going to keep making movies because, man, I just I have that that drive inside of me to just always be making a movie and. It hasn't gone away, and I don't think I can ever like get sick of doing this because I'll never be as good as I want to be. I'll always want to be a little bit better. Right. Um, and you're not always doing the same exact thing every time. Right. Yeah, every different. project's totally different, and our approach to like funding different projects has been really different, and our approach to writing different projects has been really different. Our approach to distributing projects has been different. 
So it's like everything, not just the genre, not just the team you're putting together, but like everything can be different every time. Nice. So how did the pandemic affect you? <laughs> it made him take a break. Did it shut you down completely? Yeah, I had a doctor. Um, it was before the, the lockdowns happened. I was in a car accident. And uh, we were worried that I had uh, internal bleeding in my brain. Oh, um, shit. And uh, the neurologists from the ERs and stuff were like, yeah, you just need to do literally nothing. And I'm like, what does that mean? Can I like watch TV? And they're like, no, you, you have to do literally nothing. Can I read a book? No, you have to do literally nothing. How am I, how am I supposed to just do literally nothing? I've like, I haven't had a day off in a year and a half. Um, and they're like, wow, that's bad. You should do literally nothing for a long time. And then it was really hard. Um, cause I'm stuck at home and I want to be out doing things and my friends are out doing things. And then the pandemic, like we get into a lockdown and now I've already been stuck at home, not doing things, but now everyone else is also stuck at home, not doing things. Mm. And a lot of the first year of the pandemic and the lockdowns, I don't really remember. Um, cause I had a really bad concussion and I don't know, like hashtag not a brain scientist um so i don't know if it's if if it was a concussion that lasted 10 months or if there's like some post concussion stuff months, holy shit. but yeah there's there's a 10 month period where i was not really forming memories very well um so it was really weird because it was like one day i could just start thinking clearly and it, at that day i realized whoa if i'm thinking clearly now and i'm noticing it that means every day for the last 10 months, I have not been thinking clearly. And I just didn't know that I wasn't wow. thinking clearly because that's how not clearly I was thinking. So it was October. It was October 2020. Yeah, October 2020. When I was like, oh, man, I, I'm, i you know, I feel better finally. Not 100%, but like I can function as a, as a human. Um, so we wanted to celebrate by making a movie basically. Um, <laughs> so a buddy of mine had just sold a movie for a decent amount of money and was like, Hey, we just sold a movie for a decent amount of money. Do you want to have a meeting with the person who sold it? And I was like, yeah, cause I would like a decent amount of money from a movie too. That sounds right. cool. And he was like, cool, I'll get you a meeting. So I had a meeting with this guy who's a distributor. And uh, he's a pretty cool guy. Um, and his company is doing really good things. And I'm excited about it. And we've got two two of our movies are through distribution with them right now. And maybe more in the future. You know, We'll just see, see how our movies keep going once we uh, finish our movies. Right. Um, but yeah, so I had this meeting and they were like, yeah, we've got, you've got cool stuff. I, I like what you're doing. Could you try like maybe... Get me, get me like a G-rated Christmas movie. Maybe we could sell that. That sounds sellable. Mm -hmm. um, it's a pandemic, so a lot of productions are shut down. And I'm like, okay, cool. So like, we could probably figure out a G-rated Christmas movie. Um, and we've got friends who have also been like doing nothing for the last ten months with like lockdowns and whatever. And they're anxious to like get out and make a movie, but there's no vaccine. 
So we have to like stay, you know, 10 feet apart. We didn't know how many feet apart would be safe or not. Right. Um, and we got to set it outdoors. And I'd already had an idea for a Christmas movie because we had that tiny house. So I was like, oh, we should make a tiny house Christmas because <laughs> we could have a Christmas movie that also has a tiny house. And it's like two niche genres in one movie. Right. And that way we're like hyper focusing our audience. Um, and I had come up with a story for like this mall Santa where the person living in the tiny house like works as an elf for a mall Santa and then falls in love with the mall Santa. Um, but the malls were closed. So we were like, okay, what if it's like a Santa in the park instead? Um, in the park? <laughs> yeah. So we did a, so we, we just set up, uh, we got a red chair and some Christmas lights and some uh, Amazon boxes that were empty. And we just like put wrapping paper around yeah. them and then like put string lights around the stack of fake presents. And we just decorated a park and made a fake Santa in the park thing and filmed it. And we just, you know, we could stay further apart from each other. And because it's a Christmas movie, people can like wear scarves. So then if you're wearing a scarf, you can like cover your mouth and nose with a scarf. And that's kind of like your mask basically. Right. Um, we were just trying to like, you know, do whatever we can to make this movie happen. And we were shooting on really long telephoto lenses because they can really compress the space. So we can have our two actors like 12 feet apart having a conversation and saying their lines while standing 12 feet apart. And you can never tell. And then another 20 <laughs> to 30 feet past that is the tripod with the zoom lens. And because the tripod's getting an over-the-shoulder shot on a long focal length, it's compressing the space. Mm -hmm. So even though the actors are 12 feet apart, from the vantage point of the telephoto lens, it looks like the actors are right next to each other having a normal conversation. <laughs> so we shot it that way, and it worked out okay. Like, that, the actors didn't feel like they were awkwardly standing apart to, like, try you know, to not give each other a horrible pandemic or something. But, but, yeah, so we made... We made a tiny house Christmas during the pandemic, and uh, there's there's a lot of logistics to consider and a lot of um, a lot of challenges. And then with eight thousand feet up, uh, we I'd talked about doing that movie years earlier, and it never happened. And we kind of refocused the ideas and and wrote a new script, um, and then found new actors and the plan was like, okay, well, there's no vaccine or anything. So we'll just like go up on the mountain and stay six feet apart. And then fortunately there was a vaccine before we actually started shooting 8,000 feet up. Um, but you know, we still had to be careful because we didn't know what, you know, we don't know what's going on with, you know, everything's still so new. Um, so the pandemic, yeah, it, it made me film a lot more outdoors and with, smaller casts which i like working with a small cast anyway it's more intimate and and i think we can communicate better there's less distractions right i know when i filmed with uh falsto i had to get a back i had to get a um uh like one of those quick tests mm -hmm. it's like 15 minutes i had to go get tested everyone had to get tested every time they went on set right mm -hmm. before we went on set so i was like that kind of sucked i mean it was i guess it was just whatever but Getting that shit stuck in your nose, it kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah, we've still got a bunch of uh, tests at home, and we've got the touchless forehead scanning uh -huh. thermometer uh -huh. thing. 
Um, yeah. And a lot of a lot of wet wipes. We we're just wiping everything down. Yeah. Um, just in case. Yeah, it forced us to simplify our scripts though. And we thought before that we were trying to come up with like stories that are really simple so that it's not gonna cause us to have a giant budget. But now we're like, man, we could have made them way more simple, way pared down and just focus on like the story and the acting. Yeah. Cut out anything that's going to make it harder. Yeah. And I think that's one reason that 8,000 feet up has been getting like some okay reactions is because we we're not trying to do anything fancy. We're trying to like, here's the core of the story we're trying to tell. Here's the core of who these characters are and what their different motivations and interests and conflicting ideas are. And like, we just keep it simple. And we tell the story we want to tell, and then we get out. And we don't waste anyone's time. I like to do a camping up there type of movie. I think that would be cool. I love camping. That's like my favorite thing to do in the world. Me and yeah. my son do that all the time. Make a camping movie because it's a great excuse to go camping all the <laughs> exactly. time. Exactly. We had to, we had to save our campsite. just to be up on Mount Lemon, I'll do it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, when, we uh, did have someone go up to camp ahead of time because if we just had everyone meet at the campsite, it would have already been taken by another person that wanted right. to camp. So we had someone like a designated camper to oh, save cool. <laughs> the filming location. Yeah. So I think it was four, maybe five of us uh like rotating on like whose turn it was to like camp at the campsite and uh just reserve our filming location basically so no one else would set up a tent there nice it was a lot of fun well well and, um it, like words or inspiration would you give to somebody that's trying to do the same thing that you're doing directing making <clears throat> movies and stuff what advice would you give them hmm yeah, I mean, just make it. Don't listen to anyone who says you can't make your own movie. You can make your own movie. And it doesn't matter. I mean, one one question that I'm glad I didn't get asked tonight, because um, I hate getting asked. People always ask me, like, what camera are you shooting on? Dude, that's, like, the least important thing of the right. whole process. Even as a cinematographer, like, I need to know what camera I'm using. But once I know what camera I'm using, there's other stuff that goes into how do I make a thing look good. So I can be using any camera and I can make it look good, not because of the camera, but because I've been doing this for 21 years and I've kind of figured out what works and what doesn't work in different situations. So uh, specifically for cinematography, especially in Arizona, but anywhere, get ND filters, like get good ND filters, the neutral density. Um it was really frustrating. We, when we were trying to pick out a wedding videographer, I was watching the reels of like every wedding videographer in the Southwest and everyone's clipping their highlights. And it's like, you guys, if you're filming brides in white dresses in the Arizona sun in the afternoon, why don't you have ND filters? Like get neutral density filters, cut that light get good exposure, keep your highlight detail. So we ended up not hiring anyone to do our wedding video because every wedding videographer we watched, they're just, their videos were just amateur. Um, 
so we did hire our our friends and yeah. we just gave them our cameras yeah so, so we, we so we put we did hire yeah, yeah so we put we put nd filters on our own cameras and gave those cameras to our friends and hired them to do the wedding video instead of going to like someone who's a dedicated professional wedding video is like the one thing they do because come on arizona step it up but yeah just make a movie. If you want to make a movie, go make a movie. Don't listen to anyone who says you can't make a movie. You can make a movie. Just make it. Because, and don't give, your, give yourself the freedom to fail. Because if you hold yourself to the standard, like I'm a perfectionist. And I want everything I make to be perfect. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to be perfect. And if you can't get past that, you're not going to finish a project you're not going to grow. You're not going to learn. You're just going to be stuck wondering why you're not perfect. Right. Give yourself that freedom to fail. Learn from your mistakes. Figure out how to do it differently next time. And just keep making movies. And they can be any movies. Make a movie about anything. And if you're in Tucson, come make a movie with me. Let's do one together. <laughs> because that would just be super fun. So eat your vegetables, Andy filters, step the fuck up and make the movie if you want to make it. And the last one was? Uh, pick your three most important things every month. Right. Every month, if it's like Set May 1st, people. say, hey, it's May 1st. It's a new month. What are my three most important things in my life this month? Maybe it's like your marriage and your bills and your movie. Right. And then... If someone else is like, hey, man, I really want you to film this concert for me. Sorry, man, I just don't have the bandwidth this month. Ask me in June. Right. And then when it's June 1st, you can reevaluate. Okay, the marriage is still super important, but maybe I finished that movie. So now I have space for something else. Maybe I want to, like, take more naps or sleep in more just so I can, like, feel more well-rested or energized or maybe you know what i want to like do a concert for a friend this month you know every month pick your what are your three most important things and just try to make that month be about those three things right. and just keep repeating that every month and you know 12 months later 18 months later 500 months later i don't know how long that is do people live <laughs> people probably live 500 months i don't know like You'll, I think you'll be surprised how far you can get if you can get into the habit of just being like aware wow, of how you're spending your energy. Right. You don't have to spend your energy all the time, constantly. You can allow yourself to fail, but even if you're failing and you keep trying and failing, if you need to take a break, that's part of the process too. You have to take time to rest and always thank people that are working with you no matter what part of the project is if you're coming if somebody's coming out to work with you you should thank them because it's be people don't have a lot of time nobody has a lot of time right. anymore right. so before we end the episode let the people know where they can find your work where they can find you if they want to work with you all that yeah. <clears throat> so you can find all my movies online at avi.media, A-V-A-I, period, media. It's not .com. 
it's dot media um yeah all my movies and trailers are there um and then as new movies come out and get finished they'll also be there uh otherwise on social media it's at avi media so pretty much any platform is there anything you'd like to chat time in on Paul, before we oh yeah absolutely that's what i was just saying too Thank, very thankful that we had our two guests on the show tonight, too, with Avai Media, Tess and Avai yes. Diamedico. And now that it is uh, after after midnight, it's now my birthday. Oh, so happy birthday. Oh, 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 happy birthday, brother. Yeah. Glad to be here with you, man, for your birthday. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.